Welcome to The Conversation. I'm Heil Russell. And I'm Cameron Regal. And we have really gotten over the hump of it, Cameron, when talking about Star Fox Adventures. In the first two installments of our Spotlight series, we discussed the drama, oh, the drama, around the build to the game's release. And on the second episode, we went in-depth with the characters, story, and lore of the game, which was the real taxing part. That that was just, was tricky, I guess I'll say, because there's just so much of it, so much of it is obtuse, and, and what order you tackle it in. I think we did a pretty okay job with the last installment, so this episode is kind of going to be the cool down. It's, it's going to not necessarily take us through any grand chronological narrative of Star Fox Adventures, either from an out-of-universe developmental perspective, a release perspective, or an in-game perspective. This is this is more of us talking about just feelings. How much we both enjoy the game, how much it means to the fandom of the Donkey Kong Universe and Rare and DK Vine itself. And we're going to be talking about some of our favorite highlights, some of our favorite tracks in the game from David Wise. And we're going to talk about the voice acting a little bit more because I feel like that is just something you have to do in any Star Fox game. Sans, you know, Star Fox for the Super Nintendo or the little uh, LCD watch thing you could get from the serial. Do you know about that one, Cameron? Uh, no. Yeah, after 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 Star Fox for the Super Nintendo, I forget which cereal brand it was. Oh, oh no, the no, I do remember this. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I've seen it, but I don't know the I don't have the context of where it came from. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's like a little almost it's a watch game, but it's like little Tiger Electronics, you know, just just so uh, rinky dink, but it's. So ubiquitous in the early 90s, all of those uh, LCD games. I know there's a Battletoads Tiger game, uh, but th- this this was even smaller than that. And I, it, it was always weird if you, like, if one of those little LCD games was your first exposure to an actual, like, video game release. Like, I think I had a friend who had a Sonic 3D Blast one of those, <laughs> yeah. and it was like... 
oh, I, I picked it up like, oh, I guess this isn't actually what this game is going to be like. Yeah, I never <laughs> I never owned the Tiger Electronics stuff because I guess I always just saw through it. But I, I think every one of my friends had at least one. So I played them quite a bit whenever I was over at their house. And I just, oh, I'll pick this up and give it a whirl. It's like, oh, I hate this. Because I was so used to that Nintendo polish that anything that tried to pass itself off as a video game that was less than a Game Boy, I just, I just couldn't. I just couldn't abide. And I'm somebody who can appreciate a real scaled down thing. But anyway, my point being, I consider that a real Star Fox game too. Uh, but yeah, I, I just want this episode to kind of be chill. We don't really have anything grand to accomplish we're just going to really nerd out a little bit about Star Fox Adventures and what it means to us in particular. So, welcome to this episode of The Conversation. I want to highlight some bits of the game, though, like some of our favorite segments from the game. And I, I don't really have any master plan for this. I I think... Just the things that most stick out in our minds 20 years later. Just like, oh, you know, I really remember this. I really like that one. So I'll start um, the prologue with Crystal. The, the the entirety of it. From flying on the Cloud Runner, fighting General Scales Galleon, to boarding General Scales Galleon, to the whole sequence in Krizoa Palace. I really like and appreciate especially after seeing the dinosaur planet leak from last year how it really is kind of starting in media res with uh dinosaur planet if you're buying this because it's a star fox game it really makes you wait for any context about how this ties into star fox it it starts with crystal it starts with the krizoa and general scales and various dinosaurs and Team Star Fox and the Lilat system don't really come into play until after Crystal is entrapped by Andros. I remember actually um, showing this game to the person who introduced me to Star Fox 64 and thinking like, yeah, they'll, they'll like this. It's it's like a much prettier looking Star Fox game. And uh, they got to this prologue just immediately tuned out. Really? Yeah. Just I mean because like, like this isn't what I came for kind of thing, but... I, I I really like I like this pro- prologue a lot, and it's um it's funny um like on paper the idea of converting an entirely unrelated IP into a Star Fox game sounds kind of ridiculous. Like, how are you going to marry that? And then mm. you find out that no, this game always began with like an aerial combat shooter segment. Yeah, it it doesn't seem like such an anachronism now and it's part of Star Fox Adventures, I imagine it would have felt a little weird just being immediately launching into that. And it's funny how like the various Star Fox wikis, I think there's two. I think it's like Lilat Wiki and Arwing Wiki or something. But they consider the the Galleon shootout to be a boss fight. I'm like, oh wow, it's the game starts with a boss fight, according to some experts here. But I I don't I really like that you're just kind of dropped cold into this narrative into this world just like you would have been had it been Dinosaur Planet and there's nothing really to anchor that in pre-existing Star Fox lore yet except you know you do see Andros you you see from Andros's point of view they do this really cool ghost vision 
effect. It's like greenish and, and blurred and I, I don't know what like this is meant to imply about like the way Andros sees the world, but it's a really cool <clears throat> cool um visual filter they do. Yeah, and you know, you don't really know going into this, not having the game spoiled or not having played it through once, you don't know that this is Andros or even a ghost that's watching you. And I really like that once you put the pieces together, because they use this effect a couple of times in the game. I know like when Fox goes down to Cape Claw for the first time, you see somebody watching him from the, the bushes and it's the same effect. And Fox is like, he gets that chill and he's like, is somebody there? And, you know, not putting it together until the very end when you realize this has been Andros's ghost watching the events, manipulating the events from the start so he can bodily reincarnate himself using the power of the Krizoa. Uh, it's it just it's just a cool little touch. We talked last time about how it's basically Rise of Skywalker. What Rise of Skywalker should have been the story of Palpatine's resurrection rather than just jumping to the fireworks factory and giving us resurrected Palpatine from the start. But I'll also say, like, and this is kind of a commentary on the get the game as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um I like the color. Whenever I think of this moment in the game, I think like overwhelmingly of the color palettes. Yeah, it's like this. This bit on the galleon is very blue, um, but you have like scales show up, and he's like a neon green and like stark orange, and standing in the rain. He's got glowing eyes. Um, I think Star something Star Fox Adventures does really well that. I think has helped it visually age a lot better than games of its time that I would say like are only like degrees removed from the style it's trying to go for, which is like, you know, semi-realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a very good sense of like color direction. Nothing ever feels like drab to me in it. And I don't know if that's inherited from it being an N64 game where like rarer tended to rely very heavily on vertex shading. Yeah. Which was like coloring the underlying polygons under a texture to give it more color depth. Right. But everything just has such good color toning to it in this game. It's it's always very vibrant and very distinct, and I really appreciate that about it. That's a good point, because I, being a, a child of the 90s, of the N64 era, I, you know, I always like to rag on N64 games that weren't Nintendo or Rare, because they were always drenched in fog to hide the draw distance. And I think the visual hiccup of the GameCube was that everything now, when you go back to it, looks so washed out. Not everything, obviously. There, There's still very vibrant games on the GameCube, but so many games just seem like the color palette is is just muted or, or like the contrast is out of whack. Uh, it's dialed away down. I, I don't know why, but it just gets that feeling. But yeah, you're right. The color, the vibrancy of everything in this game just pops. It it's resplendent, um, and and here like on the galleon. By the way, can I just point out that I love that Rare found a way to work in a galleon in in Dinosaur Planet slash Star Fox Adventures. Like, uh, yeah, we can't really work pirates into this. But what if we give General Scales a flying galleon? All right, good. Let's do it. 
yeah, Je- Jeff has expressed several times like desire for that weirdly like animate figurehead to show up in Sea of Thieves. Yeah, and like I, I see why I, I, I also like like we talked a little bit last episode about kind of appreciating sometimes that Star Fox Adventures doesn't explain things to you. <laughs> right. I like that we never like figure out what's up with that like living figurehead, which is also like. I feel like it's like also like deliberately animated a little bit stiffer than everything else. It's got like a like a Ray Harryhausen stop motion kind of quality to it. Right. Yeah. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know what it is to this day. I think we've hedged our bets and I I think like DK Vine has in the past considered it a character. I don't know if I would go that far speaking from my vantage point it might just be like this animatronic Thing or a bit of magic or, or whatever because um, it just raises so many questions but yeah I, I do like that they don't explain it you are thrown into this wild world and especially the prologue is just drenched in mysticism and vague spirituality and it's got this unsettling feeling as you wander the halls of Krizoa Palace despite the fact that it's been attacked essentially you just yeah you just have this feeling of dread it, it is a bit like survival horror when you get into Krizoa Palace cuz you're you're coming there something has happened you're not entirely given an explanation as to what mm-hmm. just that like scale showed up tore the place apart and hurt or killed everybody there yeah yeah and and i it really ties in well with you know, of course we know andros is utilizing the power of the krizoa to basically pull a long con on what turns out to be fox i don't know if he was anticipating fox and team star fox to arrive and assist the situation but he was basically basically used crystal as bait for whomever what whoever wanted to play the hero i guess to bring the power of the krizoa there's a kind of like nice little I, I remember like one of the earthwalkers you can talk to just says like scales has unleashed a great evil here yeah which without the context you think oh, that's just like a very flowery way of saying like he did something really horrible here but no that they, they mean he brought andros's ghost with him yeah yeah <laughs> i i would love to see the prequel story about how andros's ghost seduced general scales I seduced in, in, in the sense of doing evil, not like, uh, you know, the Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore movie. No, no, like as we find out later in the story, like Scales didn't even realize he was being manipulated the entire time. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's better left to the imagination because there's no way to really satisfactorily pay that off. No, I, I there's no way to also like dramatic for drama purposes show like Scales walking around and... Andros is a ghostly, like, devil on his shoulder. <laughs> right. You can't really portray yeah. that with any kind of gravitas. But yeah, and and you can also infer, because, you know, the whole, we, we talked about the whole thing about Crystal's home planet of, uh, was Cernia? Cernia? Uh, I always forget the name of it if I don't have it right in front of me. Um, but the, the whole story of her home planet being destroyed, and you can maybe piece... We don't even see that planet and got a name before Dinosaur Planet. It's named, but Dinosaur Planet in the title is not. But, uh, yeah, like, you can infer, like, oh, so did the Krizoa also settle on her planet? And that's why it was destroyed, is Andros was doing a test run of what he would need to do with using the power of the Krizoa to resurrect himself. 
And that's what brought Crystal to the Lilat system and to Soria. And, uh, I, you know, I, but I like that you can piece it all together from this prologue after the fact. Once, once the twist ending is revealed to you, you can then go back to the very beginning and be like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So that's really why Star Fox Adventures is one of my favorite narratives that Rare has sort of uh, unspooled for us. It's because you have to do so much of the work yourself. <laughs> I, I guess also another thing in this prologue that applies to the whole game really is like the same is also true of Bad Fur Day, but I appreciate it more and more like there is so much bespoke character animation in this game uh-huh. at a time when games didn't always do that. Like, just in this intro alone, you get, like, Scales thre- threatening walk-up like him, laughing at, him, at himself, uh, like, Crystal, like, pointing at him, him, like, f- like physically picking her up by the neck and, like, dragging her aclo- across the floor to hold her over the edge. Right. Like, you, you were lucky in this era if, like, you got, like, lip flaps and a character doing something other than, like, just standing there kind of miming their hands at you. I I remember uh, Donkey Konga and Donkey Konga 2 portrayed their stories through uh, Polaroids on a cork board. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, and, uh, which just makes it look like the ramblings of a conspiratorial minded, uh, you know, paranoid uh, survivalist. It, it, it's, it's funny then to, you know, compare it to just how yeah how how richly animated everything is in this game and and like i know we talked about it a little bit last episode with like fox's eye rolls and everything but i i feel like this game hits on something really smart um which i guess was kind of baked in with dinosaur planet but also really lends itself well to star fox um it's a game that's very aware that star fox characters have giant eyes (laughs) Um, and it like uses them super expressively. Yeah. And I, I feel like I remember back in the day, like people having a bit of a joke with that, like, because Fox makes a lot of like silly Mimi faces, you can screen cap out of context, Mm -hmm. but it really does like make every character like really expressive and fun. We need more GIFs. We need more reaction. Excuse me. GIFs. If, if you prefer, we, we need more of those from Star Fox Adventures. I think just by nature of when the game came out and how it's, it's harder to capture quality videos of, of this game unless you're using an emulator. Um, we don't have them, but there would be, there would be so many you could use from this. So. But yeah, it, it's like Conker's Bad Fur Day also had a lot of the very animated, you know, reactions from Conker and uh, Star Fox Adventures really like took it over the finish line for Rare on Nintendo consoles as, as, as just like a year and a half later. So um, one other thing I'll say about the prologue before we move on is I do really appreciate that Crystal got a little moment in the sun, even though it was completely a night in the rain soaked Krizoa Palace. Because, yeah, I mean, it, it, she, she was given sort of a raw deal in comparison to what her role was going to be in Dinosaur Planet, but she made out a whole lot better than Barry did in Conquer. Because, yeah, Barry's role was excised completely outside of story elements in Bad Fur Day, and of course, 
She then met a very grisly end, whereas Crystal came out of this, joined Team Star Fox, and continued to appear in games, as most recently is 2019 Super Smash Bros. Ultimate as an assist trophy. So I would say that this really helped to make Crystal, even though she was barely in the game after the prologue, the fact that she was at the beginning of the game, she really stuck with people. And it, it actually did her more good than just saying, ah, let's just get rid of it completely. And then where would she be? Yeah, I I wish that she got more, but at the very least, the prologue like gives me the feeling like, the way that they handled it gives me the feeling like, oh, this character could do more. Yeah. The potential is still there for sure. And I think that Star Fox Assault definitely... Um, I mean, it it definitely kept that flame alive, whether or not it utilized Crystal to the best of its abilities. Well, it had to juggle the entire team, and at least she was there, you know, as, as like one-sixth of the elements when you factor in Peppy and Rob. But yeah, I mean, I, I just like her around. I like her being proactive, and it was really fun to, you know, get to play as her, even though she plays the same as Fox, you know. Um, for the most part, except she doesn't have her staff here, right? She she lost. Also, it. just like bluntly, it's good to have a prominent girl on the Star Fox team. Yeah, even if both Nintendo and Rare were horny on main when making some decisions <laughs> regarding her, <laughs> but yeah. yeah, just it is what it is. It, it, it was 2002. She uh she she got away from sort of the 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 warrior princess princess Leia in the gold bikini archetype pretty quickly. Uh, Star Fox Assault. Um, I think mostly did away with that, considering she was a pilot in that game. So, all right. Well, uh, the other sequence from relatively early in a game that I fondly recall, and it's another one that was basically ported over from Dinosaur Planet. Was it's striking how like identical this is with its Dinosaur Planet incarnation for similar reasons to the prologue. Yeah, and it, it was really yeah surprising when seeing the ROM last year. I was just like, oh my god, this feels so familiar. It's it's basically just shot for shot identical, except with the uh, you know character switched around and it being on the N sixty four. But yeah, Ice Mountain when Fox comes to Dinosaur Planet. Gets the staff in Thorntail Hollow, meets the Queen Earthwalker, sets out to find Tricky, goes to the Warpstone. The Warpstone teleports him to Ice Mountain, one of the only two locations the Warpstone can take Fox on Dinosaur Planet. That in Krizoa Palace. Which, why Ice Mountain? Well, I, I guess it's just hard to trek up there, so... I- Ice Mountain on the Dinosaur Planet. <laughs> Very blunt. But, uh, yeah, uh... Basically, it's a speeder bike chase. It's it's Fox uh, chases after the Sharp Claw, and um, it's just a fun little sequence of of racing downhill, uh, sort of sort of like um, a ski run, but on futuristic jet bikes. Yeah, and again, the futuristic hover bikes always in it since it was Dinosaur Planet. I c- could. If I knew nothing else, I could swear that was a Star Fox original. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's already kind of thematically weird after we just had the the magic galleon. But it's it's been in there. Um, something I 
there's actually two little things that I I think are enhanced by the switch over to this being a Star Fox game about this sequence. Yeah. Um, that I really appreciate. Um, one of them is when Fox goes to rescue Tricky or and Saber in the original, he runs into the sar- Sharp Claws and they kind of ask him, like, who, who are you? And depending on the game, he says, like, I am, you know, Fo- I'm Fox McCloud, leader of the Star Fox team. I've come to take the prince back home. In both the games, the Sharp Claws, like, don't give a shit and just immediately ignore him to go run after Tricky. <laughs> right. Um, in, in the final game, they even, like, one of them, like, smacks Fox in the face with a with his club <laughs> on the way out. Just, But I, I like it, this... I like this more with the framing of it being a Star Fox game because, yeah, Fox is the big deal galactic hero, and these Sharp Claws don't give the slightest shit. Well, also, it makes sense given how insular Dinosaur Planet is. Like, I I think they missed the bulk of the whole Andross insurgency. So, yeah, yeah, good good for uh, (laughs) Fox for saving the solar system, but it didn't really matter to the denizens of Dinosaur Planet. So, yeah, like, who are you? I don't care, you know? Yeah, the the other moment is um, when Fox first meets Tricky at the at the frozen lake, um, the translator is still, like, being worked, like, still has a few kinks. It's not, like, 100% working. Yeah. So his first meeting is kind of delayed with, like, Tricky standing there making fun of him, but Fox can't understand it. Right. And is, is like, steadily getting more and more frustrated and pissed off that he can't follow what's happening. Yeah. So he's even angrier at Tricky making fun of him. And it's, it's a good way to set up the sort of, not antagonistic, but the 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 way Fox just bristles against any of the assumed responsibility he now has for Tricky. It, it's just, it's basically, like, one of those, uh, like fish out of water like uh dad comedy movies where it's like i i'm not a parent i'm a i'm a workaholic or i'm a i'm a fun party dude and now i have i'm saddled with this child i won't ever love this child and then of course by the end of the movie you know they're inseparable which is what happens with fox and tricky but it's a very rare take on it and it, it's also fun to have that rare take and then apply it to a major Nintendo character like Fox McCloud. It, it, it's also fun, like, intro to Tricky, where you get... Like, we already know Fox is, like, bitter and jaded and uh-huh. kind of done with it already. But it's also a good primer on Tricky because we kind of get this, like... You know, he's like a... He's a... He's a bratty little child um royalty royalty yeah even and he's kind of been tossed into this situation that you get the feeling like this is his first time really dealing with something this serious for sure yeah and there could they're both kind of like they're both kind of like uniting over this like bad circumstance so they both found themselves in and kind of like warming up to each other Based on that. Yeah, and that's what I think a lot of people forget is Tricky also doesn't really think much of Fox at the beginning. He's a little bit more enthusiastic at Gun Ho, especially because, you know, he gets into the spirit of things much more quickly, being a, an adaptable child and not a, uh, a, a mid-20-something who's fallen into hard times. But <laughs> and, he, and he's also a kid, so, you know, once Fox, like, can throw out, like, hey, I'm the leader of Star Fox and I'm yeah. a pilot. And- yeah. 
Like, yeah, that'll instantly get a kid on your side. Like, you fly a plane? Cool. I do think this is one area where the switch to Star Fox Adventures actually benefited the story, is having Fox McCloud as the sort of counterpart, unwanted guardian of Tricky. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it would have worked with Sabre, too, but having it be Fox McCloud, this clear outsider who we know is this big hotshot, you know, top gun sci-fi action hero. And then all of a sudden you're going to make basically make him a surrogate parent for the duration of the game. It's fun. It's fun in a very unusual way because when else would Fox McCloud be put into this situation other than Star Fox Adventures? It's And it's a it's even like good for Fox's character too because you have the dynamic of like, oh, Tricky is worried about his parents well fox's dad died yeah um at the hands of andros and then like he knows what it's like to have your have your like father figure put in danger because of some like mad tyrant absolutely there, there's that undercurrent to it and then you've got fox he gradually cares starts caring about tricky even if he won't probably admit it to himself towards near the end but Tricky is basically his conduit to caring about the entirety of Dinosaur Planet, caring about it in terms of more than just this is my mission. I'm getting paid for this. This is Fox (laughs) learning to love Soria via his budding love for Tricky. It's a really sweet, wholesome story. And coming a year and a half out of Conker's Bad Fur Day... I understand why a lot of people, especially people my age at the time, but I'm sure people younger than me, kids even, would have sort of not gotten into this because there is there is this kind of earnestness to this and really the entirety of Star Fox Adventures that's lacking the cold cynicism of Conquer or really much of the video game industry where it was trending at this point. It It is something that I find I love way more the older I get and the more. So so I, I'm kind of multifaceted, Cameron. The older I get, the more, um, I don't want to say perverted. That That's putting too harsh of a tone on it. The more depraved I get, but also the more wholesome i get as well so i i'm much more touchy-feely than i used to be i'm much more in tune with who i am and this is always who i've been i've been a very empathetic person my entire life uh even when it wasn't really cool or considered an attractive quality to be an empathetic person and that's why star fox adventures really resonated with me is it fed that part of my soul that wasn't getting fed through any other media of really that era or, or much of what would come out later that decade, there there is just something true blue about Star Fox Adventures and especially that Fox and Tricky relationship. And I think I was open to the Fox and Tricky relationship because of Tricky, because Tricky, the whole reason DK Vine continued to cover Star Fox Adventures was they maintained Tricky who, you know, through our understanding and later soft confirmation from Rare, is the same character from Diddy Kong Racing. This is essentially a Diddy Kong Racing spinoff that got merged into a Star Fox 64 sequel. And so I was more primed to care about Tricky. And because of that, it opened up my heart, just like Fox McCloud's heart opened up. And 
I love everything about Fox and Tricky, and uh, I will f- defend the character of Tricky. I will defend this narrative. I will defend the choices they made until the very end, because I think you have to have your heart closed off to not be charmed by this just a little bit. Yeah, it's it's a very heartwarming story with a very cynical and bristly character, which I think is my favorite like combination you can do yeah. tonally. Yeah. It's also just a nice tonic. Like I, I I love Conquer, don't get me wrong. Like when I'm comparing this to Conquer's Bad Fur Day, it's not to throw Conquer under the same bus that ran over Whizpig. This is that's an that's an in joke for those of you who don't know. Whizpig wasn't actually run over by a bus, nor should he be. I don't I Whizpig never did anything wrong except being an evil. You need like, a, a very big tyrant. bus too. Yeah. Uh but I, I I like Conquer, but I think the older that I get, the more I gravitate towards something like Star Fox Adventures, which is just pure. <laughs> I don't know. There, there's a purity to it. Outside of the porno saxophone solos and, and the implied heavy-duty fucking that goes on at the end of the game, <laughs> this is a very sweet narrative <laughs> at its heart. And... I don't know. Uh, just just everything about Fox and Tricky from this beginning in Snowhorn Waste. And you get his ball. You can buy his ball. And then you can uh, play ball with him anytime you want. Which is how I played a lot of this game. Honestly, a lot of the hours I sunk into it was just from spending time with Tricky and making him happy. I don't know. It, it, it brings a tear to my eye. It's good. There's a lot of like, like I like I said last time. There's a lot of like little good moments with Tricky where he's just like, he can he can be like a a, a little puppy, a a dog, a per, a, a child, a, like sometimes a cat, kind of. It's, yeah. it's they get, they do a lot of like fun little things to just make him very adorable. And in that's this game. that's a good point too because even if you don't have a child or you have no care or desire to ever have kids you can still see a lot of your pets in tricky like a dog or a cat like oh yeah tricky is basically a talking pet in some respects which is i mean what, be- what does fox say when you pull out the ball he says go get it <laughs> yeah right <laughs> which I, I don't know like i don't know what f- pets look like in the lilac system considering they have every shape of anthropomorphic bipedal animal you know like up walking upright and talking to you so you know who knows but fox definitely has that vibe (laughs) with tricky where he's like you're you're my dog you're my talking dog and i'm i'm falling in love with you boy and uh it's it's sweet there's something for everybody in tricky i maintain and if you have a problem with tricky like i I've, i've seen plenty of modern day cynicism towards tricky people playing star fox adventures and just refusing to embrace it and i think they really need to just stop caring about what other people think and and really get in touch with their touchy feely sides because i i think the uh the story between the two of them is the emotional core of star fox adventures and it's why it was so nice to have Tricky come back in Star Fox Assault, you know, aged up a little bit, and to have that reunion with Fox where he, like, pounces on him. He's now, like, almost a fully grown Earthwalker, but he jumps on Fox like your dog would jump on you after you've been away for a long time. 
and uh yeah yeah i i love it i i i still hold this up as probably my i don't know if i would say it's my second favorite dku relationship outside of donkey and diddy maybe diddy and dixie but i would even put it above banjo and kazooie in in my opinion there's just something so real about their way their friendship develops because we're seeing it develop as the game progress it's like banjo kazooie they already know each other somehow at the beginning of banjo kazooie everything about the relationship happened off screen donkey and diddy we sort of see them bond through you know the implied narrative in donkey kong country so i think because of that i have such a strong emotional attachment to it and it's the same reason why fox and tricky just works so well for me yeah and uh you know on the flip side while we're complimenting complimenting like yeah, gameplay mechanics i do like that they threw in the little bit where if you're mean to tricky and you like hit him and are violent that he will light you on fire <laughs> <laughs> right i never i could never do this i i like i might accidentally hit him once or twice if he gets in the way while i'm staffing sharp claw or whatever but um yeah i i was always the best to tricky during my uh playthrough of star fox adventures do we want to talk about any of the bosses, Cameron? Because there, there are, I would say, four prominent boss fights in the game and general scales. Yeah, and I think they are kind of like, as far as like big gameplay hallmarks, they are kind of like centerpieces of the areas you find them in. So mm-hmm. I think it makes sense to like talk about the bosses a little bit, but also like the context around them a little. Yeah. Um, so, so it's funny because in the, in the title, I guess just the titles that pop up for the boss fights, there, it's always pref, uh, prefaced by boss. So boss Galdon. And because of that, I always associate the name of the character as boss Galdon, even though I think it's just Galdon. Yeah, it's not like, it's not like boss Nass. It's right. just a... <laughs> Well, it's it's even in our Avatar gallery on the DK Vine form, going all the way back to when Avatars, I think it was 2004, we established those. But yeah, we have like Boss Galdon, Boss Red Eye, Boss Dracor, and just like, wow, that's a real artifact of that time. Do you think that's like uh, like general scales where they don't translate boss in, in Saurian? Yeah, it might be. I, I don't know. Like, we don't, I don't know if we ever see it spelled out and sorry it's been a while since i've actually played the game mind you but i i doubt we ever do yeah <laughs> just just a thought whenever i need to get screen caps of star fox adventures i usually just pull up an emulator and i i only have like i'm only i've only progressed so far on that and you know but yeah i, I would love to actually replay star fox adventures just talking about it the last couple of weeks i'm jonesing for it really bad jones soding it soda in it for it i need some fox, fox fueling fuel. for it yeah i need, i i need that uh apple soda in my veins the green apple but uh boss galdon is the boss in dark ice mines i believe uh when yeah um this is an interesting boss because it's one that was like Heavy in the marketing, even when it was Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, yeah. I I think just first boss. I wasn't it even a showcase at some of the trade shows. I think they demoed it at E three, or at the very least, like showed footage of it. Boss Galdon is weird because he's not anything. 
Right out of the gate, no, totally made up creature, not a dinosaur. Not a dinosaur. He's, it's it's an insectoid of some sort, right? I guess like a dinosaur, but like a made up one. He's got like a, he's got like an insect, like it is like a a dinosaur insect centaur, uh-huh. kind of. It, it's weird. He's and he's got like a like um hood around his hood frill around his neck that's like spiked it's a uh, it's like a very interesting like like sort of like mashup chimera monster design i think the implication is, is that it's some sort of prehistoric beast prehistoric for soria you know a, a land brimming with what we consider prehistoric creatures but which which would jive with the context of how you find galdon yeah because galdon is frozen within the eponymous dark eyes mines and you you basically thaw him using Tricky, and because uh, Tricky can breathe fire, something he didn't do in Diddy Kong Racing, but he was being a good sport there, aside from the cheating. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I think it was in deleted audio or text that people found that uh, Garunda Tay says he froze uh, Galdon as, as like a precautionary measure, like this is this beast that the the snowhorns had to contend with and he he had him frozen put him put him on deep freeze which i don't know how you do that when you are in dark ice mines like it's- there's a lot of um technological questions i have about dinosaur planet given that it's a planet where like only one species has like it has like um thumbs <laughs> I, I, I don't know or or not even thumbs like i mean i there are upright dinosaurs like the bonehead from that we talked about yeah but just there's a lot of like even just um like how does anybody get in and out of the shopkeeper's shop yeah on dinosaur planet considered it's in thorntail hollow of all places how did it i i've always imagined like sharp claw or not sharp thorntails trying to get down in there and just having a hell of a time and then once they get down in there they can't get back out Shabunga, you, you you're not ADA compliant. You gotta you gotta like put a <laughs> ramp in there. I I I just picture Shabunga with like rope and pulley, and <laughs> <laughs> this is this is why he keeps like muttering about moving to Cape Claw. It's not yeah. the it's not the beach that he wants. It just needs to not be in a hole. <laughs> but yeah, Galdon is basically uh, an on foot fight. And it's it's I think it's the most traditional boss fight in the game in that you have to it, it feels very much like a Zelda fight. It It's extremely Zelda y and also kind of like. It, it's I like that the like way the fight resolves is very like Looney Tunes y. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you kind of like. You, you puzzle out like, well, you don't you're not. Um, attacking him directly you have to distract him with tricky by getting him to stand there so you can swing around and hit him in the back Mm -hmm. and then he'll try to eat you and you have to um like wallop his uvula over and over again (laughs) so he'll spit you back up right right Uh, it's somehow the least memorable boss fight in the game for me despite it being first i think because it's so traditional in the in the context of zelda 
compared to the other ones where they're these big dramatic set pieces, spectacle above all else. But this one is purely gameplay, like traditional Star Fox Adventures standard gameplay, utilizing Tricky, figuring out the weak points, and going from there. It is probably the most elaborate fight in the game, yeah. Yeah. I'd also say. I think also because Galdon is this unspecified beast that has no clear analog to the rest of the Dinosaur Planet tribes, I just kind of, like, check out. I'm like, I don't know what you are, so I don't want to think about it that much. But I, it's an enjoyable fight. I I like it. it. Like I like that all the boss fights are attached to getting spell stones. For the, I mean, besides Andros at the end, but... And I do like with this boss and the one after it, they do an interesting thing about like where the spellstone is. Right. Yeah, because Galdon just swallows it. <laughs> Which what happens when you pass a spellstone? Like what what would that look like? What would that night of hell be like? King Red Eye. Boss Red Eye, according to our Avatar Gallery, is the... Uh, it's, it's funny, because I guess he's the second boss in the game, but I think of him so much in terms of, like, endgame. Yeah, me me too. I, I I don't really think about how, like, the second boss of the game happens so late in it. Yeah, I guess if you consider the Galleon to be a boss fight, then it's the third boss. But yeah, it is. It's relatively late in the game, but it's not endgame endgame. It's just late in the game. And it's yeah. weird that it, it plays tricks on me because I always associate the walled city with the end of the game. And I think that's because you go back there after Dragon Rock. And that's where Fox and uh, Tricky say goodbye. But I, I feel like it's also like I think of... Again, we've already established, like, trying to apply structure to Star Fox Adventures is kind of a losing battle, yeah, but yeah. because the three, the four, um, well, the locations you have to go out into space, it's Dark Ice Mines, um, Walled City, Dragon Rock, I always think of, and Krizoa Palace, I always think of, like, Walled City as, like, well, it's, it's, like, it's, it's the seventy-five percent mark, even though it's it's not right at all. No, uh, Cloud Runner Fortress is the other place. Cla- oh, Cloud Runner Fortress—that's the one I was blanking yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. Cr- it's- Crizo Palace does set up the final boss fight, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's three out of four. I was so blanking on Cloud Runner Fortress. Well, because which- Cloud Runner Fortress doesn't have a traditional boss fight. It's um- yeah, which which is a shame. I blanked on it because Cloud Runner Fortress does have some of my favorite bits in the game like you get the sharp claw um disguise it's got fox meeting scales in the in person for the first time it's got um the like treasure hoard vault that looks really cool and has um your first hint that uh scales is kind of a shitty boss when he literally picks up one of his goons and uses him as a meat shield to keep (laughs) fox from shooting at him right and you get another speeder bike sequence too which i'm glad they found use for more than one and i i really like cloud runner fortress too because it it has kind of that japanese garden kind of vibe to it uh it's got like the the cherry blossoms and it's another one where the like again the games like standout color um like direction comes through because i remember oh cloud runner fortress it's the teal one (laughs) yeah yeah, but yeah, I mean, there's there's no there's no traditional boss fight there, so I don't really have a lot to say about it other than I I I remember being confused when General Scales teleported away. I was like, oh, he has a personal teleporter now. Okay, 
I'll roll on his belt. It. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess was always there, even in Dinosaur Planet. Yeah, um, it's, it's one of those holdovers. Again, it, there's so many things in this where, like, there's so many things that got thrown out in service of making it a Star Fox game, but way fewer than you'd think. Yeah, it's amazing how close it actually does hew to Dinosaur Planet. For all the lamentation about losing Dinosaur Planet and, oh, what could have been. And, yeah, they had to cut some things to get it out on time, but it, it's actually pretty close. I, I think, if anything, they just made the story a little bit more concise. We also can't really say, like, I think, like, well, if if Dinosaur Planet came out and it never became a Star Fox game, but it still got moved to the GameCube, how much of this stuff still would have gotten cut just to get the game out? Right. There's a large part of Dinosaur Planet, go- like the, the whole total package. It's it, it starts to feel a little bit like the really convoluted backstory of Lord of the Rings, like the Similarian. And, and we're just like, wait, what? What? I, I can't keep up with this. I'm sorry. Uh, keep it simple. Just just talk about Sauron and the ring, please. Uh, and I, I feel like they did make Star Fox Adventures, even though it is still probably the most convoluted, complex, obtuse plot in any rare game, at least any rare DKU game. I still think it makes more sense than it would have had it just been Dinosaur Planet and you added everything. The whole, the whole enchilada would have just been a bit too much. I like that. The, the only reason people don't pick up on Star Fox Adventures is the, the whole story is they're not really paying attention or they're not pulling the, the threads together that Rare doesn't specifically weave together for you. But. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, um, I guess we got really off of King Red Eye. Yeah, we um, did. We the, did. I guess, I guess the walled city in general. Um, I I do like that. For how short a stay they have in this game, like the the T Rex presence in this game does feel properly scary. Uh huh. Um, both with the both with the rank and file, which. Like, you're told outright, like, you have no hope of defeating them. You gotta go, like, get a staff upgrade that will let you yeah, it, stand a chance. It definitely it definitely fucks with you as far as your your fear, you know, your... It, it makes them in this intimidating thing, even if generally they're not that imposing, you feel like they are. And they're T-Rex. Yeah, I mean, it's so. a T-rated game. They're not gonna rip Fox in half on screen. Right, but like, like in Congress, Bad Fur Day, but <laughs> it, it's still it, it's kind of kind of gets gives you the the snacker in Banjo Kazooie vibe, where just the presentation alone is enough to put you on edge, even if fundamentally it's not that bothersome. There's even like a nice build up with um, like sim- similar to Galdon, like Scales has like. Like the king, the king is locked away. He's not uh-huh. like out running about. He's like in a, basically in a dungeon, and you kind of get this like nice little build up with um, Tricky's dad, where you have to like get the keys, which are like fangs that you put in a statue to open yeah. up the door to reach him. And the whole like the chamber where you do this has like a very creepy vibe to it. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're gonna like. You're you're unlocking the you're you're Dennis Nedry like uh, the turning off the power to like let something out. 
Yeah. Um, um, it's like, there's a lot of like a good sense of danger to it. And also with the, the fight itself, um, in the, like in the staging of it, where quite a lot of the time you're in a narrow hallway staring at a T-Rex and you kind of, the boss fight mechanic is like almost like a bullfight kind of situation. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit, yeah. Which I, I will confess sometimes like creates awkward camera stuff. Like the easiest way to die in this fight is just lose track of where the king is and he runs over you while you're looking at something else. Sure. We didn't learn we didn't learn anything from Stompadon in Banjo Tooie. <laughs> no, we did not. Um but I do like this little little bit where you're like yeah, you'll stare at him, he'll growl at you, and then start running toward you when you have to try and electrocute him before he reaches you. Yeah. I I think it, it's the most intense boss fight, and maybe in the most intense encounter in the entire game. It, it's it's I, I remember my palms sweating just from the presentation alone. I was very, very relieved when I pulled this off and pulled the spellstone out of out of him. Yeah, speaking of spellstones in weird places, I I love how gross this is uh-huh. with the with the spellstone lodged in his head that Fox has to like like pry out like he's using like a like he's using a screwdriver to like open a tight paint can lid. Doesn't it make a squishing noise when he does? I I think it makes a noise and also there's like a really specific indent to where it used to be in his skull. Yeah, that I yeah. that makes it like all the more like you like gr- grody, but it, it, it's it's a fun, disgusting. I I really like it. Yeah, it definitely is, and I think it really does pay off the promise of T Rex in your dinosaur game. I I think having it be a big boss spectacle, having it be something like this where you are this trapped prey essentially you're you you are one of the goats that is getting fed to the t-rex in jurassic park and because of that it, it just feels so satisfying this seems like a this seems like a fight built around that scene in jurassic park of them looking in the rearview mirror yeah at the at the t-rex and saying objects are closer than they appear right yeah it, it, it's it's well done they definitely pulled it off in a satisfactory manner and that's why I think uh, King Red Eye, Boss Red Eye, whatever, is, is probably my favorite boss fight in the game, not including Andros, just for the, the twist alone. But Dracor, uh, Boss Dracor, <laughs> is the boss of Dragon Rock, which I always mix up with Walled City because of the sort of back and forth hopping of, of Star Fox Adventures. I'm like, no, Dragon Rock was after red eye and because yeah dracor was the original antagonist of dinosaur planet that's right and then he got he got shunted down to like third build villain status but i don't really mourn dracor all that much he he's a cool design he's basically just satan in uh what was it legend that he, he that, that tom cruise movie he looks he just looks like the devil in that movie it's a fun design, and I like how much of it was kept from Dinosaur Planet. Yeah. I do think it's like a matter of, this is such a cool design, we don't want to waste it. And I'm glad they didn't. 
I'm glad they didn't, and I like that he's in there. I like their new story for him, that he's just this genetic abomination, maybe created from DNA strands of all the captured dinosaur tribes that you you free throughout Dragon Rock, which is the uh, the fourth area you fly to in an R-Wing, one of the sacred lands that the did, did it is- Did it before Jurassic World? Yes, d- did it way before... Chris Pratt was an A-lister voicing Mario. He, uh, but yeah, this is the fourth sacred land, and it's implied that basically the Sharp Claw have taken it over and basically done the Kremlin thing where they've made it this wasteland due to their technological and industrial meddling. It's funny, like most of the other places in the game I remember for their environment, um... I don't really remember Dragon Rock for that, partly because it's the whole thing is it's a barren wasteland. What I remember it more for is that it's like the it's the game's like dinosaur high, highlight reel. Yeah, <laughs> um, because like rapid fire, you get you you meet an Earthwalker and you get to ride around on him and ram into things, and yeah. you meet a high top and you like have to have to free them and like stand looking up at them and like take in like how big this character is. And I, I and, do, uh, you, you get the, you get the cloud runner from the opening again. Yeah. And I like how you have this idea of the dinosaur resistance of the sharp claw, like outside of team star Fox, like there, there is this organized rebuttal to what general scales is doing. And like outside of all the, like outside the like um normal like alignments of the rest of the planet you've seen too because it's th- um species ostensibly from three entirely different tribes who have all come together mm-hmm. as friends um i guess four if you include their thorntail friend yeah who who is the gatekeeper yeah all like uniting to fight scales and it didn't turn out well for them but you're going to change that right right yeah it, it really cool Really cool setup. The boss fight for Dracor itself, though, it's it's not my favorite in the game. I mean, it's fine. It's just it's just there for me. So here, I am unable to, I think, talk about Dracor's boss fight with any kind of impartiality because uh, I think I think I've got a I've got a childhood story to relate for you, Hyle. Sure, I love childhood stories. So the first time I tried to fight Dracor and uh, Star Star Fox Adventures was a game that I had to and I this is one of the rare times like I was the kid who like needed somebody else to help me with a game mm-hmm. um, and it was because the earlier part of the game had those twice um, mandatory hit the A button really really fast challenges with a rubber band AI yeah. Um I just like kid me was not I don't know coordinated enough to handle this or never once thought for a second like um like to, like to stress these aren't these challenges aren't nearly as bad as something like Canary Mary and Banjo-Tooie. Right. But they are mandatory to complete the game. And like I would have people say like oh no it's it's easy like just like you know, don't use your thumb or use your index finger or uh, like the trick is to hold it. And I'm thinking, well, 
if I have to hold the controller away other than what it says in the manual or what the paragraph of text in the game told me to do, that's not good design. <laughs> um, but um, anyway, that anyway, I, I I had a hard time with those when I was a kid. I I've gotten to the point where I can do them just fine now. Um, mm-hmm. Still, still not not the case with Canary Mary. Um, I usually have to do some kind of weird gymnast controller gymnastics to beat her but anyway yeah spoon spoon on the controller for me was weirdly how i did it i don't even know um but anyway besides that's all besides the point um because of that there were like some weird progression things i'd run into with playing star fox adventures and one of them was um like i was kind of like tag teaming the game with my my friend's sister who could do the button rapid button press segments really well and we got to Dracor and we made the mistake of uh, see I'm I'm a person who like saves obsessively in games like all oh, the time same and uh learned the hard way um it turns out if you save in a boss fight in Star Fox Adventures um you have saved the health that you came in with in that fight. Oh, no. And because the preceding section before you uh, get to Dracor is uh, an on-rail shooting segment, I went into the fight with two slivers of health. <laughs> and uh, oh, no. you, you can beat Dracor with two slivers of health, but uh, not, not when you're a child. <laughs> Probably Cameron. not. I have a question. I have a realization. Is yeah. this why you can take out the Ashen Lords by yourself in Sea of Thieves and you don't need anybody's <laughs> help because you went through the Dracor fight with only two slivers of health? Well, no, because I didn't make it through the Dracor fight. I had to, like, replay the game up to Dracor. Oh, shit. Okay. Never mind. I thought that would be a good origin story for that bizarre skill set you've revealed yourself to have. No, but, like, Nowadays, like, when I've fought Dracor, I don't, like, form any kind of opinion about it because I just go, oh, that was way easier than the first time I tried. (laughs) (laughs) Because if you can just kind of... There's a lot of stuff to, like, dodge and, like, things to shut off in that fight, but if you come into it with a full health bar, you can just, like, you just shoot Dracor before that stuff finishes you off and you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can't top that story. So let's let's move on. Uh, general <laughs> scales. What a boss fight this was. So a lot of people, a lot of people don't like that general scales doesn't actually present you any sort of fight that he passes out and dies, presumably, before you have a chance to really go toe to toe with him. And, uh, I don't know. I've never really mourned the fact that General Scales wasn't, uh, this big dramatic sequence. Like, I, I think it works well for the story that, no, he's basically the red herring. Like, he's important to the plot, but he's not the driving force behind all of this. And I think just having him essentially have a heart attack or stroke or whatever and die and at your feet it works i i can understand because you've been primed as a player to want to get your hands on general scales after everything 
after, and it's just kind of a, a tease. Yeah, we had a whole test of fear about it. Right. Fox was terrified of the guy, apparently. But uh, I, I've never really had as much issue with this as other people do. I can respect the opinion, and I get it for sure, but it's always kind of rolled off my back. I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I don't like it. Um, but I also like, there are, there are aspects of it I do like, um, like for, first and foremost, I don't mind that the, that he got hijacked in favor of Andros. I think that's a fun story. And as we've established, it was in Dinosaur Planet from the beginning, like narratively, I think it's fine. Um, I do like, and, and the more distance I get from it and the more we, um, kind of absorbed the, of the idea of like scales as kind of a nobody villain who suddenly rose to power entirely off of the back of the ghostly devil on his shoulder. Um, yeah. Like that is like him being kind of a pathetic loser is in a way also satisfying. Mm-hmm. But I do think like from a gameplay, like, standpoint like from a player's standpoint it would have been more satisfying to like have like a even a cursory battle with him and that there's also two other things kind of informing my opinion on that informing my idea that like things maybe could have could have gone a different way one is um in what we've seen of the original dinosaur planet um i think there was a lot more room to breathe with the idea that scales was kind of a pathetic villain Mm mm-hmm because they do, um, in like various versions of the game, we've seen like build in the idea of like I think there's a like an early version of the scene on the galleon where he just kind of clumsily falls off or gets struck by lightning, or <laughs> right. like you get the idea of like oh maybe this guy doesn't a hundred percent have it together, and of course you have Dracor being more prominent and you can kind of like see the disparity between like who the real brains of the operation is. Um, so, like, like I, th- I think in adventures you don't really have much in the way to telegraph that Scales is kind of a loser before the big reveal happens that he is. Yeah. Um, the other part is, well, we know for a fact that the game's development was truncated and, like, we had word from scribes back in the day, like when asked, why does the game only have one final boss and it's Andros? They wanted to do a scales fight. There's unused dialogue of like Falco offering to help you fight scales. Yeah. Um, and you know, with the, this hard immovable one day before the ink is dry on the buyout deadline, uh, the team had to, like make make the call and focus on only one final boss for the game and when you can only do one final boss you make it the man behind the man not the pawn right it was the right call to make in a very unenviable situation behind the scenes and i'm so so i'm glad it came out the way it did i'm you know you're you're right like there there was no other option they had to have the andros thing in there so to make the pawn expendable as far as boss fights go absolutely the right call having that understanding nobody should have any issue with it but i understand out of context the way it was presented it was disappointing to people because everybody was ready to throw down with general scales 
and we didn't get that. As a consequence, there is a really fun, um, like, implementation thing with the quote-unquote scales fight, um, which is when when he confronts you at Krizoa Palace and kind of does the, like, come at me, bro, um, bit... The thing that activates the cutscene where Andros tells him to stop fighting you and stand down will not um, trigger until you pull the staff out. Uh huh. But because Scales isn't coded to attack you either, you can just kind of like sit there in the chamber in Krizoa Palace while the threatening music plays and Scales like just kind of hops around in his battle stance and he will do nothing. You can just kind of walk around the room leisurely. Um, like, pace in place, play around with the items in your inventory, he'll just stand there. Shame you can't, like, throw Tricky's ball at his base. <laughs> I hadn't tried. I mean, you don't have Tricky at that point. I don't right. even know if you... I don't think you have the ball anymore. Yeah. No, he would He would want to give that to Tricky. Uh, but yeah, I... I... <laughs> Maybe that was the way to take scales down. You say, go get it! <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we'll never know. But yeah, it, I'm I'm fine with it. General Scales is what he is. He serves the narrative well. I don't mourn him. Uh, at the end of the day, he's basically uh, K. Rule with a smaller snout, in my opinion. And, and it is satisfying to see his goons all like gather around his corpse and celebrate. Do they gather around? Like his not corpse, even or? a second after he died. Okay, yeah. Is okay. is it, is it his corpse or is he just like unconscious? We don't know, but. He's definitely not in power anymore. By Considering the they're waving away, waving around his uh, his belt at the end of the game uh, on top of Krizoa Palace, I think you might assume that he died. They just laughed at him as he ran around with his pants down and shamed him out of the tribe, I guess. Yeah, I think <laughs> the older that I get, the more I lean towards he probably died from the stress of the Krizoa leaving his body and, and whatever. Yeah, I don't actually know how that made him... Like, if he did die in that moment, I don't exactly know what is supposed to have caused his death. I think the, I think the Krizoa forcibly removing itself rather than easily passing out like it does with Fox and Crystal. Yeah, I mean, even for Fox and Crystal, it doesn't seem like a pleasant experience. It's painful, It's yeah, but I, I think, you know, it's like going out the via the heart as opposed to the nasal cavities. I don't know, but... Yeah, I don't know, and he is, like, at least going by the age he was supposed to be in Dinosaur Planet, like, canonically a lot older than they are. Yeah. I don't know. The the older I get, the more I realize that the only consequences for people like General Scales are death. Like, there, there's no, like, imprisonment for somebody like him. So, yeah, he probably died. Um... And that takes us to the Andros fight, where, you know, Fox brings back all of the Krizoa spirits to Krizoa Palace. The last one is released, and all the Krizoa sort of channel around this this uh, divining rod that, that Andros has devised. Uh, the, the crystal is trapped in, and it, it's enough spiritual energy that it channels into the Krizoa's statue behind this device and Andros is waiting in there and it restores his body. Uh, Andros comes back to life. This is so goofy to watch play out and I love it. 
it, it's incredibly <laughs> goofy and campy. I would say campy is, is the optimal word. It campy in, in the way that like it knows what it's doing and it's having fun. It, it's having so much fun with it. And yeah, uh, the, the, this Krizoa head sort of starts levitating, sort of like the bird heads in Super Mario Brothers 2. Like the the one at the very end, you know, yeah, yeah. It it reminds me of that where you're like, oh, what the hell is this? And uh, what what we know to be Andros now says, you know, at last I have been resor- reborn, the mighty Krizoa god. <laughs> and he uh, he was like, you will bow to me, and Crystal's like, we will never bow to you. <laughs> And Crystal grabs the staff and starts firing just aimless shots. And again, Fox standing there just like jaw to the floor, head to head cocked like, really? What, really? This is this is happening? Yeah, yeah. And Fox just takes off. He's like, all right, I'm going to get to my R-wing now. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm. I was like, I this this thing is probably going into space. I need to check it out from the comfort of my cockpit. I don't think just firing the staff at it is going to do any good. And uh, I, I, it doesn't really give you much time to sit with it. This very second, Fox gets into space with the R wing. The Krizoa head flips around, and it's Andros. And Fox is like Andros, and. They have a little chat and they start fighting. Boom! End of end of game boss fight right here. But it might be my favorite Andros fight in the entire Star Fox series, solely because it is attached to my favorite Star Fox game, and it's such a fun emotional capper when you realize, oh, it's Andros behind it, and it doesn't feel cheap in the way. Oh, they couldn't do something original. It has to be Andros again because it's so clever in the way they construct Andros's resurrection and the way they weave that back into the dinosaur planet narrative that it, it doesn't feel cheap. It feels clever and earned. It's also, again, similar to what I said about the Star Fox. I mean, the, the space shooter segments in the last episode. Um, this was a time when even just like seeing Andros come back in this like fancy on this this console with its fancy new graphical capabilities was a really big deal yeah like andros looks really cool and gross in this game it's and he's got like really fun animation like his mouth flapping around when he when his head explodes or his like glowing orange eyes and like gross skin it's really striking and uh i do think it's it is probably my favorite Andros fight. Um, and I also like, um, again, marrying the two um, the two worlds again with Star Fox and Dinosaur Planet. You get this arrangement of the, like the Andros brain theme from Star Fox 64, but it's arranged with like the instrumentation you've been hearing throughout the game on Dinosaur Planet. Yeah. With like these brassy horns, and you you you've got that same duality with just Andros's design because the back of it is the Krizoa statue head, 
and then yeah then then it flips around and there's andros and he he does some of his same techniques that he does in star fox 64 but yeah it's it's also great to see rare do uh, a primate character a simian character that that's not a kong or you know uh, their ilk it's just this creepy disembodied giant head with like just this sinister undertone to it these disgusting features it's really cool to see and of course falco flies in he gives you bomb replenishment so it's kind of like han solo swooping in at the death star but not not quite the same he just he just basically but he does tee up fox for the winning shots like kind of narratively he's like showing fox the way to beat him as well yeah so it, it communicates to you the player oh this is the way you take him out really well done i I love everything about this and um it's a really great way to incorporate falco it 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 feel it feels earned as far as falco goes as well like okay here's falco and of course he would come back at the very last moment in this big climactic fight he comes in at the last moment to save the day and like you like everything you need to know about falco happens in that split second he comes back because he comes back, immediately figures out how to beat the boss, helps you do it, and gives you shit with this smug little comment about it. Right, right. But, of course, yeah, Falco's not going to help you out throughout Star Fox Adventures. It makes sense that he would come back in the R-Wing side by side with Fox. No, he was out, he was out getting a cool leather jacket. I love Falco's design. I mean, I love everybody's design in this game. I, I think outside of Crystal, maybe this is probably my favorite take on the entire Team Star Fox. Yeah, I I like how the again everybody except Crystal is kind of on the Star Fox team. Is it feels like it, it feels informed by their Star Fox sixty four character designs. Like like okay, we all had matching outfits. And it's been, like, it's been so many years since. Like, how have you, like, individually tailored since then? Yeah. It's like, okay, well, Slippy ditched the jacket because it's easier to just work in a shirt. Peppy's wearing a big, like, elaborate long coat and, like, fashioned his bandana into a tie because he's, like, not really... He's just kind of sitting around doing, like, map making. Fox went like sleeveless and ditched his helmet because he's going planet side and walking around now Mm -hmm. it's it's a really like fun slight tweaking of everybody it is it is and i i miss fox's little adventuring vest i i don't know i guess um we have this game to thank for the for um fox not wearing a helmet in assault (laughs) i guess i guess yeah but yeah um Andros blows up, and I guess this is canonically his final death. I know Command sort of tips into the uh, its toes into the Andros waters a little bit, but I think this is... Like- In a way that makes clear, like, this isn't really him, and he's yeah. definitely dead. Yeah, so, I mean, Rare was the one who actually killed off Andros. I mean, I know Nintendo killed him off, and then Rare brought him back, but Rare's death is the one that stuck. So... I, I, I like that after this, like, it's like Andros is out of options and he's just got to either be in disembodied spirit or just, I don't know, go off into the netherworld. 
It's it's a it's a Nintendo series where it's all right for the main villain to not to not always come back because you definitely murdered him. Yep. And um Fox returns or or Fox watches the Krozoa spirits restore dinosaur planet like all the pieces of the planet are mended and with the spellstones back in the Force Point temples the the magical integrity of the planet will keep it together. And Fox uh, returns to the the Great Fox, and everybody has a chat, and they they kind of have this little catch up where we we learn everybody's doing well on Dinosaur Planet. Tricky says hi. It, it's a very rapid fire, almost like sitcom finale kind of ending. A little bit, yeah. Which, which again, it's it's fun, and I, I like the little bit of General Pepper having to pass along that Tricky says hi. Because of course, Tricky would want to get that in there, like you know, make sure, make sure, make sure you you tell Fox I said hi, and it it's just very true to what a little kid who is sort of intoxicated by being friends with a big shot space hero would would want to do, like get get me in there, and uh, it, it's sweet. I love I love everything about Fox and Tricky. I don't care. Um, but yeah, it's, it's like a sitcom ending until Crystal shows up and then it becomes a Bond ending, <laughs> which <laughs> because, yeah, Crystal just flies into the great Fox and wants to thank Fox personally. It uh, flies in flies in on one of the like commandeered sharp claw ships. That, is that, was is that, is that what it is? Because we never saw Crystal's own ship. Yeah, it's like the it's the carrier that they like beam a tricky down from on Ice Mountain. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Because, yeah, we never saw what Crystal actually got the dinosaur planet in. We just, you know, see her on the Cloud Runner at the beginning of the game. It's actually a, um, I ended up using this ship in the, uh, the Rare Archipelago map I drew all those years back, um, as like a little joke that only I would get, which is, um, if you look at, uh, Timbers Island on that map, because we we had ran with the whole thing of like, you know, everybody in Dino Domain is a dinosaur planet immigrant. Right. Or at least it was founded by them. Um I ran with the idea of, well, they would have caught there in a spaceship and because they're all dinosaurs, maybe they weren't the best at piloting it. <laughs> so uh on Timbers Island on that map is uh one of those sharp claw ships wedged in the volcano side. That's that's the yeah, that's a great touch. And yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about the interstellar exodus of the some of the Saurians led by King Tricky, probably when we do a Star Fox Assault Spotlight. Um, but <laughs> uh, um, yeah, because Star Fox Assault kind of sets it up. But um, yeah, this game ends on a, on a weird weird note with this um, this joke about Fox being horny. Yeah, because Crystal comes in and says she wants to thank Fox personally. And then Fox comes in. No. Uh, and then uh, I, I think like Peppy and Slippy and maybe Falco, I can't remember, they start like chiding Fox like, well... Rob does. Well, I know of, Rob, of I know things, Rob, I, like... I know Rob does. Um, I couldn't remember the order because I know everybody's chuckling and then Rob's like, my sensors indicate Fox's temperature is rising and Arrow's like, oh, Fox is horny. Slippy, Slippy just kind of like said, you're not shy, are you, Fox? Yeah, Peppy's like, I thought you gave Crystal's staff back to her. What's that? Oh. You say that there actually is a blooper in this cutscene. Oh my god, is there? <laughs> yeah, um, Fox 
has Crystal's staff on his back. Oh, that's right. That's right. He didn't give it back. <laughs> that's weird. Yeah, that. Yeah, how do we explain that? There has to be a plausible explanation. Slippy made a double because he figured Fox would got so used to using it as a weapon. Yeah, Mamie. Um, see, Fox ran off, but Mamie uh, Crystal threw the staff to the R wing as he was flying off. No, nah, she was still shooting it at um at Andros when it happened. I mean, maybe it's a holog maybe it's a hologram staff. All right, um, that's <laughs> ridiculous. Why would I ever use that as a get out of jail free card for for a cannon blooper? Um, I hate when stuff like this happens though because it drives me crazy. There's got to be an explanation for it. I'll figure it out. Don't worry. We'll do a whole episode about <laughs> the um, the the answer behind the second staff. Uh, just, you know, we came up with a reason for the second Royston at the beginning of Banjo-Tooie that shouldn't have been there. So I'm sure we can come up with a reason for the second staff. Um, anyway, yeah, it, it basically ends like a Bond movie where there's a joke, some innuendo, and some implied fucking. And, um, Crystal's telepathic, so I'm sure, like, she got a good read on Fox, even in their brief limited time on that rooftop on Crozoa Palace. And it's like, yeah, sure. Whatever, I don't have anywhere else to go. I'll just I'll just move into the Great Fox, which we see in Star Fox Assault she does. Uh it it is kind of weird. Just oh yeah, they're in a relationship now because of course they've known each other for all of one minute. Um uh, and and whatever. They're fucking it's fine. <laughs> what what sells it is David Wise's porno sax. For me. Uh which is which is the crystal theme, but it's a very indulgent um, track, but I really, really like it. It is just a really fun song yeah. on, on sax. It's, I mean, the entirety of the Star Fox Adventures soundtrack is... I, I write up there with David Wise's best. It's, it's my favorite soundtrack on the Nintendo GameCube, and... I, I I like it just as much as the Donkey Kong Country ones. I, I think so many of these tracks would be right at home on a Donkey Kong GameCube platformer made by Rare, had it been made by Rare. I I don't know, like, just to go down the list, I, obviously Thorntail Hollow is one of my favorite. Cape Claw, of course. And just the whole credits medley um, of, of the David Wise's version of the Star Fox theme and the hard rock, like, I'm going to shred some guitar now just because... That medley, I think, is my most, like, re-listened-to bit of the soundtrack. It is, like, for for a few reasons. Like, one, it's the, like... I think the specific, like, our songs chosen are a good, like, roller coaster to, like, close out the game and, like, also Rare's tenure with Nintendo. Yeah. As a second party, because you kind of get, like, the slow build of the Star Fox theme from the game's intro, which I unfortunately don't think we've ever heard in full anywhere without, like, sound effects over it. I don't yeah. think it's... Because this is a game that didn't get a soundtrack release. No. Um, Consequence of the buyout, probably, where some of, the, some of the promotional stuff may have been cut short. Also, just Nintendo not releasing soundtracks, but that's wow. a that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. Um, that... Honest, honestly, for as good as the original Dinosaur Planet like carryover tracks are in this game, that have kind of, kind of like our return to the more like ambient style of DKC One. 
mm-hmm. and are like really um, place setting and atmospheric. Um, this Area Six arrangement—that's the the second song in this. I I think it's my favorite song in the entire game. Yeah. Um. This this guitar track, like I'm I'm always a sucker for, um especially from David Wise, like songs with extreme like electric guitar, like um, my favorite songs in Tropical Freeze are his boss are the boss themes he did. Yeah. For the same reason where you got a little bit of like a heavy metal sort of like the tying with the Viking thing. Yeah. And of course we, we know on this track that um, that guitar is provided by Grant Kirkhope. Oh yeah, that's um, right. He, he yeah. brought him, he brought him in to do it. You know, it's, it's funny because you mentioned Grant, and I was just thinking the, the thing about Star Fox Adventures and it being a David Wise score is that th- this is like uh, coming after a relatively long period of quietness from David Wise at Rare. Because um, obviously he had such a huge outsized role in the early days of the DKU, you know, led the the first two Donkey Kong Country games, or at least played a significant part in the first Donkey Kong Country game, and then did the the sequel, and then did Diddy Kong Racing, and then Grant Kirkhope sort of exploded everywhere, and Grant Kirkhope did, like, game after game after game, like, juggling multiple plates. I cannot, like, conceive of the amount of work Grant Grant Kirkhope did in, like, three years' time on the N64. It's insane to me. Yeah, and... Dave, David Wise and, and then Robin Beanland also did his own fair share around that time. And this was like kind of coming um, after a bit of a low in David Wise's soundtracks and unfortunately would precede another low because, as we'd find out, uh, David Wise kept being assigned to projects that would get canceled. Kind of an unfortunate uh, set of circumstances. Was he going to do Donkey Kong Racing? Well, he was going to do Saberman Stampede. Well, so I, I imagine Donkey Kong Racing would have been his project then, um, which would make sense considering the, the historical precedent of Diddy Kong Racing. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a shame because David Wise kind of got just jammed up in limbo <laughs> due, due to unfortunate luck. And yeah, I mean, when you factor in five years between Diddy Kong Racing and Star Fox Adventures... And that was just five years without David Wise really gracing us with his presence on a major project like this. So to, to finally have it, you know, it was like manna from heaven. It was just literally music for my ears. Uh, I, I adore David Wise and everything he brings acoustically to the games he makes. And I think Star Fox Adventures was a really good fit for him. Because you could sort of go back to a little bit of that ambient sort of stylings of the original Donkey Kong Country, but David Wise just works well with tropical environments and, and sort of more tribal beats. And like, like I know David Wise has kind of got like pigeonholed now is like you're the go-to like atmospheric platformer composer, which is maybe unfair to his abilities because he can, he has extremely good range. So does Grant Kirkhope. But like, I mean, yeah, but what he's good at, he's exceptionally good at. I, I think, I think both David and Grant have been pigeonholed, for better or for worse, as two very specific styles. Robin Beanland um, is kind of both a blessing and a curse. Robin Beanland doesn't get as much credit or notoriety as the two of them because he he's never been sort of typecast in that one style. 
and he's just kind of provided so much diversity in sound during his tenure at Rare, and he's never gotten kind of uh, like stuck in that role. But because of that, people don't think of Robin Beanland as much because, oh, that's a David Wise song. That's a Grant Kirkup song. And then you got the chameleon over here just doing whatever. But both David and Grant are capable of doing their own, you know, outside-of-the-box compositions. They just don't get that opportunity as much. Yeah, and, like, to the, to that end, though, like, this is after Donkey Kong 64 had such a different sound to it than any of Rare's Donkey Kong games before, which is what the game itself demanded. It's a very different kind of Donkey Kong game. Yeah. Um, Ed, Star Fox Adventures is a game that, like, convinces me, like, oh, you could do a 3D Donkey Kong game, and but both aesthetically and in its soundtrack, you could, like, completely follow a different path than what DK64 did. Absolutely. I've often said that, yes, we didn't get a rare Donkey Kong game on the GameCube, but if you squint just enough and and sort of ignore the dinosaurs and the spaceships, uh, Star Fox Adventures feels like a Donkey Kong game spiritually in so many ways. And that's why it, it, it just synced up with me so quickly, because I'm a sucker for wilderness tropical environments and, and just a, a a game that's just rooted in an earthiness ironically in this case not of earth but you know all the same it, it feels spiritually true to what rare did in 1994 with donkey kong country and so it's a nice way to bring things full circle both in presentation and with the soundtrack as they closed out their tenure at least on the consoles with nintendo before we move on from the audio portion of our gushing, I, I, I guess for this game, we're, we're, we're gushing. Uh, we have to talk a little bit more about the voice acting, because this is such an important part of any Star Fox game, as I said. But Star Fox Adventures is unique in that it utilizes the cast at Rare. Uh, the, the people who work at Rare, so many of them provided the the voices of the characters, which I've always loved about Rare, uh, especially Rare back in this day where they would just do it all in-house and they wouldn't use professional voice actors. It, it's honestly like I look back and I'm impressed it's anywhere near as good as it is, given that they were casting it that way. Yeah, I, I it works. Everybody works. And the the wild thing is the pre-existing Star Fox characters, everybody feels true, for the most part, to who they were in Star Fox 64. Like, Steve Malpass is Fox, so we hear the most of Steve Malpass, but I, I buy Steve Malpass as the same Fox from Star Fox 64. It, it's so strange that I think of, I think of any returning character in this game... Steve Malpass's Fox is just like hands down the most perfect casting. He mm -hmm. he sounds enough like um Mike West did in Star Fox 64. Um but also like like just just tweaked a little bit enough where I can believe it's like the same person just uh, a few years down the line um after, like, some more tumultuous things have happened in his life. Um, he's got, like, a good, like, tone as Fox is, like, kind of... Again, he sells the, like, slightly slightly irritated, kind of cynical, kind of tired. Mm -hmm. 
and it he's just he's a really perfect Fox McCloud, extremely well cast, and the f- just the funniest thing I will never get over is it's entirely a coincidence because it's he was just doing the same voice that he did for Saber. Yeah. <laughs> because a lot of Saber's dialogue is just straight up in Star Fox Adventures, completely unchanged. It's I guess it's Kismet. Uh, you know, I guess Dinosaur Planet was always destined to be Star Fox Adventures. They didn't they didn't know it at the time when they were breaking it down and, and casting Saber and whatever, but it it was always supposed to be this way. So whenever we mourn Dinosaur Planet, I don't I don't think we're really grasping that this was always the project this was supposed to be in some grand cosmic sense. Uh, Estelle Ellis is Crystal, and Crystal is an original character, and because she's an original character, they could do a natural English accent and didn't have to bend it to be this this approximation of an American accent as seen in Star Fox 64. And and because of that, it's stuck with Crystal. Even after Rare, uh, Crystal has had an English accent, a British accent. Alicia, Alicia Glidewell um, played her in Assault, and uh, I do not think she's a British voice actor. Definitely putting on a British accent in Assault. Yeah. And and then in uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, uh, her, her brief line of dialogue, um, in which I, I... What do they pull that from? Is that... It's pulled from assault. Okay, That's it's, what it's I pulled thought. from the it's pulled from the multiplayer. Um, uh, Lisa Gladwell also played her in Brawl for the like com lines that fu- the Crystal gets. Oh, which um, I always I always forget Crystals in the the lines in Brawl. Which I remember um, getting her in trouble because she listed herself as playing Crystal in Super Smash Brothers Brawl on her website. Uh, before the roster had been completely announced. Oh. So people were taking that as evidence that Crystal was going to be a fighter in Assault. <laughs> I mean, uh, in Brawl. Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, we're here to talk about Estelle. Um, yeah. No, I, 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 think, I, I think it's great. I, th- I think it's, um, it's iconic. And um, I, don't, I don't have a lot to say about it, considering how little time we spend with Crystal. But I... I do have to say, like, I'm, Im- I'm impressed with Estelle's performance in one aspect, which I, is, I think, of any actor in the game, she has to deliver the most in the nonsense di- Dino Planet language and sell it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, like, I, I know Kev has to do a bit as tricky, but you're right. Like, I he, think- he gets one sentence. Yeah. Or, or like one sentence and like a a like offhand line. Mm-hmm. J- John Silk has to do quite quite a bit of it as general scales, but I think like in like pure volume, Estelle gets the bulk of it, especially um, the like speech she gives to Fox, teaching him like the the like answering machine message, telling him to how to <laughs> use the staff, which uh, we'd learned was like originally recorded in English and then re-recorded in Dino language. Yeah, Make, makes you wonder. Like, oh, I better, I better record uh, a message just in case I ever lose my staff and somebody finds it. Like, I'm not that proactive, you know. It's like I, I don't, even, I don't even like lock my phone. I guess a question about Crystal I have is like, so she's speaking the, she's speaking sorry in in the prologue, 
and in the like in the staff pre-recording and in the like mental projection that she does when like the Andros head shows up and says like she needs the Krizoa spirits to live. Mm-hmm. Um so when she shows up in the at the end of the game and is speaking English and like from then on like did was she always bilingual? Is this still Fox's translator translating for her? Did she like learn like I don't know Lilat Basic or whatever the like lang the <laughs> equivalent language to English is like sometime off screen between like adventures and assault because she presumably can speak the same language as Star Wolf because they talk to her in assault. So I here here's my fan interpretation of it i think it was the translator doing the heavy lifting for her with at the end of star fox adventures with fox and then by the time of assault she has learned whatever language they are speaking english english as a coded Lilat military, Cornarian military language, or or whatever. I, I guess if you're a telepath, that also probably makes it easier because you can pick up on like what basic concepts are and what the equivalent words for them are. Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> 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 Got to talk about Kev Bayless as Tricky. Um, he he does such a good job of coming across as a little kid. And as we've talked about, it's amazing looking at the progression of Tricky from Star Fox Adventures to Star Fox Assault to Diddy Kong Racing. I can totally buy this as the kid version of both of the other iterations. And I don't know, I I, I love this portrayal. I I think it's fantastic. I know Kev has has been on record as feeling like a a little down on how people people found tricky to be annoying but and and like you you talked with him at magfest the other year and you were you basically had to convey no we unironically adore tricky yeah my myself and cammy like handed him like art we did of tricky like that night and he kind of responded with a shock like oh you like him (laughs) like you actually like him and he like started his present he like gave a presentation at that show as well and kind of like started off like apologizing for playing tricky yeah i i i hope like he's kind of softened on that as like time has gone on and like people have like come up and like no we we love tricky tricky's great and i think a part of it is also like self-deprecation but i mean Right now, he's got, like, Tricky as his Twitter avatar, so I think he's <laughs> embraced Tricky a little bit. I was going to say, recently, Platonic did a charity auction and where a lot of their staff did uh, artwork uh, that they auctioned off. I did bid on Kev Bayless's Diddy Kong beat artwork, but I was outbid, and I couldn't, in good consciousness, good conscious, like, actually keep increasing my bid. I was like, no, unfortunately, I'm just going to have to make do without original Diddy artwork from the creator of Diddy Kong. I have to make do with my, uh, my Lee Loveday, Mr. Pants doodle that I've got framed on my wall. But, uh, anyway, yeah, I, 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 he, he also did a tricky, an original tricky drawing. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's good to say. I hope that Cameron and Cammy actually, uh, put that idea in, in his head, inceptioned it into his head that no, uh, we actually do like, 
Tricky. Like there, there, there are many of us out there who adore Tricky, and I think that's what's hard for a lot of the people at Rare, um, at least Rare back in the day, is they probably did internalize a lot of that negativity around this time period, but they didn't have a direct line of communication with people like DK Vine or Rare Gamer or Rare Thief, you know, or where we are, we are the true blue believers, and yeah, we we are the fans who that who lap this up and i th- I think they they understand now though that rare and platonic that no there are there are people who unironically loved what they did with this stuff so i i hope that's come through loud and clear to kev that no we we love tricky yeah tricky is great and kev's performance is really great he really sells like the naive little kid behavior and like again like anthropomorphic pet child thing tricky has to encompass he 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 goes right up to the line of being a brat and and is a brat when it's called for but never to the point where he's obnoxious he's always endearing and um and and it really works then too when the the thaw happens between him and fox and they've got that sort of indiana jones short round kind of dynamic where it's this mentor and this little kid who looks up to him and thinks the world of him and just just never fails to uh, move my heartstrings. Chris Seaver is in the game. Uh, so so when talking about like rare staff who does who, who do like did big roles in this game, Chris Seaver is sort of pulling double duty in that he does two Team Star Fox members, uh, Peppy and Slippy. And, of course, Chris Seaver has kind of been immortalized as a result of his contributions to Ultimate. Or not Ultimate, to uh, Melee. Mixing up my Smash Brothers. I think he, he's been in most uh, Smash Brothers games since Melee, just by virtue of the fact that they keep reusing his audio. And it's so funny, because Chris Seaver has got such a distinctive voice. And it's mostly distinctive because of his role as Conker. And, and Conker is just... The, the performance of a lifetime, right? And it just sticks in your mind. And so even when he's not doing the Conquer voice, you could always pick up on traces of the Conquer voice, especially with Slippy. Once, once you look for little bits of Conquer in Slippy's voice, it's just this weird, surreal, disconcerting thing where it's like, why is Conquer coming out of Slippy Toad's mouth? The... The character I most hear like, oh, that's Chris Seaver, and that's definitely like unmistakably him based on Conquer is um he's not just Peppy and Slippy in this game, but he's also yeah. um Chief Lightfoot. Uh-huh. Yeah. Which um we we kinda gone over like, yeah, there there's some baggage with Chief Lightfoot, but like just listening to him, like I can hear like, oh, that's like the caveman in Bad uh-huh. Fur Day. That's the the like guys with the slabs that's just all these like raspy voiced characters that are in bad fur day i i say this with much love and much respect as somebody who cannot do any silly voices it, it, it it's endearing to me when like chris siever who is a very talented voice artist but he's he's still got a range i guess and so you can like you're like, oh, that sounds similar to that performance, and it's kind of like the South Park guys a little bit. And it's just like, oh yeah, they they've got like four voices <laughs> that they use, but it but it works, it works, and I'm always happy to hear them. And uh, 
just just very surreal, especially like I said, coming off a year and a half after Conqueror's Bad Fur Day, relatively contemporary titles, and and uh, yeah, it's also interesting with Peppy and Slippy specifically. Like I think they are good voices and appropriate for the characters with what they're doing with it, but I think it um kind of raises something odd going on with the voice direction in this game, which is. Like, again, good voices fit the characters, not even in the same ballpark as the as the Star Fox 64 voices. No, not really. I I still buy it, but it's like I can I can buy Slippy a little bit like again, like kind of in the the same thing as Fox were like, okay, a little bit raspier. Um. Peppy, just an entirely different kind of performance, I think. Like, we've lost the, like, southern twang in favor of uh, a very, like, a very, like, uh, general idea of, like, uh, what an old man sounds like. Which, again, he's in his late 40s. (laughs) It's a little bit weird. Like, a lot of times doing an old man voice, like a really old man voice, like, God darn it! Uh, you you start dipping into grizzled old prospector, and then and then you get into southern person, and then it just it it blends. It 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 just it's just a weird piece, and especially when you're British, uh, there, there's a lot of through line there between the British accent and the American southern accent. I mean, it it evolved from it, right? It's kind of impressive how many characters in this game, other than Crystal, do not sound British. Not being able to being able to hide a British accent was not in the job description for anybody yeah. in this voice cast. And it's funny because nowadays, you know, both Rare and Platonic, they they just do their natural voices. I mean, they'll still do silly voices, but they never try to hide the essential Britishness of their games. Whereas this is this is still uh, it's a marketable feature. It's not like yeah. alienating your audience or anything. But this is this is like the, during their whole tenure with Nintendo, I think there really was that kind of idea that no, we need to market it to American children, and they wouldn't like hearing British accents. So we're going to make everything Americanized. And and granted, with Star Fox, it makes sense because that was a pre-existing property yeah, where yeah, it would yeah. be weird for everybody to be British suddenly. And then it's funny because there wasn't voice acting, like through like full dialogue voice acting in Ghoulies a year later, but you you would have like a completely uh, British cast, Sans Cooper and Amber, who are American tourists, but you know th- I think Ghoulies is where they really started embracing a little bit more. Uh no, we're we're rare. We're we're in the English Midlands. No, we we're we're like the premier like British developer, you know. Yeah. Not in every circle, but definitely mine. So th- there were a lot of voice talent offering uh, a character or two in Star Fox Adventures, and many people at Rare not only did double duty, but they did like quadruple duty and then some. They both voiced a lot of ancillary characters a lot of supporting characters a lot of just random dinosaurs you would meet here and there uh john silk voiced general pepper rob 64 general scales and the warp stone which is a a wide gulf of characters here 
and like not ones that I would have picked up are the same voice. Like now that I know to pay attention to it, I can kind of tell, but no. Um, well, th- this is what gets confusing, Cameron, because for the longest time, we at DK Vine were under the misconception that Shabunga, the shopkeeper, he he has a very distinctive voice. Cameron, would you like to grace us with a bit of Shabunga? You do a pretty good Shabunga. You pay this much. Which sounds very close to Mr. Pants. Uh, his voice in It's Mr. Pants, which is a little bit higher, a little bit less strained. Put my pants down. I can't even wear pants. We thought the vocal talent behind Shabunga was the same as Mr. Pants. Now, John Silk would go on to do Mr. Pants in It's Mr. Pants. However, Shabunga was not John Silk. Shabunga was Stephen Brand. So, they sound very similar, but they are not, in fact, the same voice actors. Yeah, that's the the biggest indicator of John Silk's range to me isn't even in Star Fox Adventures. It's just finding out that he was Mr. Pants. Yeah, they, they said on that Rare Reveal video for It's Mr. Pants that John Silk got the job basically because he's good at doing voices. And I buy it, considering his range in Star Fox Adventures. And then he would go on to voice Mr. Pants, who sounds just like a, a, a cheerier, more friendly Shabunga. So... That's not a takeaway from Stephen Brand's performance of Shabunga, which is iconic, and we still we still quote it and laud it and celebrate it to this day. The game gives us the Warpstone and Shabunga like right one right after the other, and I think it like means that sometimes the Warpstone gets like undersold and just how like memey he is. Yeah, but the- it's also a really fun voice. Like for as many, I think like. E- in almost equal measure, as many times as we've made, like, you don't have enough scarabs jokes, we in equal measure make, like, no nobody brings me gifts anymore jokes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, nobody makes Star Fox Adventures <laughs> gifts <laughs> anymore. Nobody does a bad Warpstone impression anymore. Yeah, it's not the same without hearing the bagpipes underneath it. It's again, there's so much of Star Fox Adventures where, like, again, like you said, campy. Like, if it's a little bit cheap, it can be cheesy, but they knew what they were doing and leaned into it. I think that's what people don't get. Star Fox Adventures is pure camp. It's, it's very knowing. It's, I, I'm, I'm somebody who grew up, like, my first exposure to Batman was the Adam West Batman. So I'm primed for this. Like, I, I get what they're doing here. And what they, they play the serious moments seriously, but they also just lean into how absurd it is, and they're having fun with it. And I feel like that was a, a pop culture turn that Batman 66 had to, like, undergo, too, where a bunch of, like, people were writing it off as, like, the goofy Batman show, and only, like, decades later vindicated, like, no, what are you talking about? The show knew what it was and what it was doing. This was all very calculatedly having fun with it. Yeah, it's a comic classic. I mean, not just comic book, it's a comedic classic. But, yeah, um, Stephen Brand does a great job of Shabunga. John Silk uh, just kills it, especially... So I'll, I'll just point out the Warpstone. It's just a, such a fun character. And we talk about Rare not being able to fully embrace embrace who they were but you know they did make the warp stone flagrantly scottish so 
they 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 were starting to lean in that direction. Uh, ben Cullum is Falco for uh, for as brief as he appears. I think he does a good Falco. Yeah, it weirdly I think he. It's hard to judge gauge him in this game because he just does not get a lot of lines. I think where he, funnily enough, really shines is in Smash Brothers Melee because Falco does get a decent amount of dialogue in that game. Right when when he appears in Fox's uh, comms messages, yeah, um, like like yeah, I I don't really have a lot to say about it. I but I I really like just everything how Falco is presented in this game. Talking about Star Fox characters who uh, had new voices and whether or not they match up with old voices brings us to Andros. <laughs> yeah, Fo- Fox, are you sure you recognize that voice from somewhere? Because I sure as hell didn't. <laughs> what a weird... <laughs> like, after everything I just said about, no, I can totally buy all of these characters as their Star Fox 64 versions just aged up a uh, good eight years or so, man. Andros is completely different. It's a f- like, like I, like I want to stress, like I'm not saying it's a bad voice. It's a very fun voice. Um, honestly, it it's a fun performance. Again, like very like hammy in an enjoyable way. Um, fits what they're doing with Andros in this game, where he is going around calling himself a god as he's a floating head attached to another floating head, <laughs> but. <laughs> Like, the, the original Andros was basically just, like, Rick May filtered to sound like Darth Vader. So yeah. I don't know where this came from, exactly. It sounds Scottish to me. Like, not like the Warp Stone, but it, it's it's got this brogue to it that I, I can't really... I don't know. It's... it's the Duncan Botwood does Andros in this game, and... Granted, it's it's my go-to Andros voice. Whenever I'm thinking Andros, this is what my brain pulls out. So it it works. It it it's it's uh I, I wouldn't say it's like it's iconic in my own mind. We'll, we'll go with that. It's a choice. It's a bold choice. I would love to be a fly on the wall with like the voice direction for some of this, but yeah. <laughs> Everybody actually like portraying the characters is like going above and beyond the Call of Duty here. Yeah, and th- there are some other uh, actors in in the game who we we really haven't uh, called out because they're they're voicing more minor characters or those not part of the core cast. Dean Smith, uh, Louise Tilston, S. Blair. I, I don't even know their first name. Uh, Sean Reed. Chris Sutherland is in the game, as I think Chris Sutherland just does a snow horn or two. Dean Smith, by the way, TT. Dean Smith, yeah, and and Dean Smith, I think, just does sharp claws. Yeah, I think he's just, like, grunt noises is what he's credited with. Or, like, I don't know if he does the, like, the brief speaking parts the sharp claw do. I would assume he does. Yeah. Just the, like, wake up, somebody coming kind of, like... Mm -hmm. Peter Lore kind of voice. Right. And, th- and then uh, Louise Jacobs and David McDermott round out the cast. So I, I-, I love it. I think it's-, it's my favorite rare game as far as voice acting goes, which is, is good because you have to measure up to Star Fox 64. If you're going to take on a Star Fox sequel of sorts, you're going to have to have memorable campy. Yes, campy is the operative word 
voice acting. And it's funny because this was going to be in there even as a dinosaur planet game, you know, sans Star Fox. But they went for it. They they brought it with gusto. And it, to this day, I, th- I think it's my favorite. Well, Cameron, uh, I said at the outset of this Spotlight series that at the very end, we would take the call. So we have a few to take. Um, eager to hear everyone's thoughts who called in about Star Fox Adventure. So let's go ahead and do that, and we will wrap things up. This won't be the last time we talk about Star Fox Adventures on the conversation, but this you will can't be, stop me. Yeah, this will be the end of the much-awaited Spotlight series. So let's go ahead and play that first call. Hey, what's up, DK Vine? It's uh, John Tessier calling in for another episode of. The Conversation. So The Conversation, this week we're talking about Star Fox Adventures. And what an interesting relationship I have with this game. So my favorite game of all time is Star Fox 64. I love Star Fox. It's my favorite series. So uh, basically to say the sequel to Star Fox 64, that excited the hell out of me when I was like eight or nine years old when this came out. Uh, it came out eight days before my birthday. I'm born on October 1st. Eight days before my birthday, the new Star Fox game is coming out, and it's made by Rare, my favorite game developers. I love Star Fox the most, but I also love Banjo-Kazooie and Donkey Kong, so this is the perfect matchup for me, matchup for me, and everyone hates this game. (laughs) I don't know, it just, it feels to me like Star Fox Adventures has always been specifically made for me, almost tailored for me. Hyle, I know you say that's kind of what Donkey Kong Country is for you. That's what Star Fox Adventures is for me. I also love Ocarina of Time, so it's like everything mashed into one, that love. And I, I hate it when people say, oh, Dinosaur Planet would have been better, or a traditional Star Fox game would have been better. No. This is the game we got. This is the game we always needed. I'm all here for it. And just my last comment here, I would have to say, is the crystal theme. Like, whenever you see crystal, whenever Fox sees crystal, and I think... It plays at the very end of the game. It's like this saxophone, beautiful music. And to me, it's almost like a goodbye to my childhood. Goodbye to the old school Rare on Nintendo. Rare's last game on a Nintendo home console. The, last, the sequel to Star Like, it's just everything about it is like almost the end of my childhood. And I, I shed a tear whenever I end this game because... It means that much to me. All right. Can't wait to hear the conversation. Hope you guys do well. See ya. Thank you for the call, John. Hope you had a happy birthday. Yeah, birthday. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I Trust me. I know how it feels to love something that everybody hates. I think we've made a cottage industry out of it here at DK Vine. I think Star Fox Adventures was my first experience with that. Yeah. Honestly. I, I mean, I, I think we definitely... We definitely chafed a little bit under some of the criticisms that games like Donkey Kong 64 got because we weren't acquainted with that. We were like, what? Why isn't everybody just going nuts over this? It's the newest rare game. What are your, what are you, what are your problems, really? Are you just biased internet critics? And it was a weird situation. We were, if you're a fan of Star Fox Adventures, you're kind of getting it from both ends because. Um, there were Nintendo fans that resented it for not being Star, Star Fox 64 too. Yeah. And Rare fans that resented it for not being Dinosaur Planet. So if you're just coming into this without that context and like, hey, I, I had a good time with this. I'm going to go online and see what people were saying about it. And uh, oh, oh, they're <laughs> like burning it in effigy. Okay. 
Yeah, I think it was, I mean, Ghoulies got an even worse reception a year later. And, you know, we, we rallied around around that game and we did the same with Star Fox Adventures. I'm used to it at this point. I mean, hell, when Sea of Thieves came out, it's it's funny to think about because Sea of Thieves is, now is such a, this huge game with such a huge install base it just fans around the world love that game single-handedly rare's most successful ip like probably and arguably at this point but we had this problem with sea of thieves came out people didn't like it at first and uh, it was just because one uh, i think we saw the potential in it i knew what was coming having seen a little bit of you know the roadmap and and you know being under nda i couldn't really properly explain hey this game is going to have a lot of stuff in it and it's got a really cool infrastructure now no they they had to recruit you specifically to tell everybody how good it was <laughs> but i couldn't <laughs> adequately do that because i was under too much of an nda and then when greg males leaked the tt screenshot i was like all right now i can say why this game is going to be so good tt tt no uh i mean yes put tt in it but uh anyway yeah but i mean we we've had this problem up through hell tropical freeze let's let's not even focus on rare tropical freeze it got dragged through the mud when it came out and that had a much quicker turnaround time it was i think a few years later where we had all these critical reassessments we're like hey was everybody really hard on this game just because it wasn't metroid turns out this might be one of the best 2d platformers ever made huh funny how that works there's a lot of ire, I think, thrown at Star Fox Adventures for not what it is, but what it isn't. Uh-huh. And, like, I always... I think the biggest sticking point for me is... Like, it's... Yeah, it's not Star Fox 64 too, but it never said it was. It's Star Fox Adventures. Do you I play th- Diddy Kong Racing and expect Donkey Kong Country 4? No. It's so funny to me because I think in a lot of people's minds, it prohibited there being another Star Fox 64 type game. And just a couple years later, we got Star Fox Assault. So it clearly didn't have any role in that. There wasn't going to be a Star Fox 64 2 coming out near launch on the GameCube. Even though we did find out like a Star Fox project did get folded into Star Fox Adventures, it was also going to be a very different kind of Star Fox game. Yeah. Historically, maybe is a little bit of a problem with the Star Fox series where it will experiment to its detriment sometimes. But like back then, like I like there was no reason Star Fox Adventures should have had those expectations on it when it was I think clearly marking itself as a different thing. Just just wrapping it up because I'm sure we'll have more to say on this in our final thoughts. But, you know, John, I, I like that we can embrace what we love here um, in this community and not really let the broader popular consensus really bog us down. We can be like, no, we're going to see the good in this. We're going to acknowledge whatever flaws it has, but... We're not going to really get hung up on, oh, oh, critics hate this, or oh, the the popular kids don't like it. We've been defending Grab by the Ghoulies for 19 years. I <laughs> at, at this point, you know, I've got uh, got some gray hairs in my head now, and I'm still at this, and I still have no problem uh, just loving this for what it is. And honestly, I take it as a badge of honor. Like, I don't want to be a contrarian, but 
like when you see especially the video game critical consensus industry when you see how that operates and how much of a hive mind it is you you just kind of start rolling your eyes like fox and you're like you know what i'm just gonna like what i like and not really worry about what ign has to say about it so i also do agree with this call that like the the crystal theme does kind of have this like layer as as like out and out goofy a song as it deliberately is it does have this like very wistful quality to me because it's the very last original song you hear in a rare game on a Nintendo home console. That's right. Yeah, I like how you said original because, of course, we we would kind of get new arrangements in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate of Banjo Kazooie, and um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's um, well, I mean, original in the sense that it's the last song in the game that isn't the title screen popping no, up yeah. immediately after, okay. but. Yeah. Like there's a lot of asterisks to that that have like kind of been eroded by the passage of time because I mean you can get Banjo Kazooie music on demand on your Switch now, <laughs> right? But uh, right. at the time it was just it felt like this is this is a goodbye, and it was but, like a very yeah. like respectful good like hand everybody's shaking hands and waving as they go away. Yeah, drenched with a little bit of undercurrent of horniness at the same time. <laughs> Very, very rare. Yeah, very I wouldn't rare. want to, rare to say goodbye in any other fashion. All right, let's go ahead and take our next call. Hey, guys, Rick here. Well, the Star Fox series is something really special and important to me. Uh, I was five when I got my first Nintendo 64 and the game with it, and I was just instantly charmed with Star Fox 64 and the character of Fox McCloud, just one of my favorites since that age. Um, I was still fairly young, so I didn't even know about Dinosaur Planet until I'd gotten older, but I remember seeing Star Fox Adventures in a, I believe it was a GameStop mall kiosk. Uh, I was with my grandfather, and he didn't seem, he thought it looked silly, but, you know, he was an old man. I don't think he, he, I don't think he really cared for blue foxes, but, uh, I thought it looked awesome. Um, and, you know, just the idea of getting to play as Fox outside of the Arwen. It's absolutely awesome. Uh, and I, I really am favorable towards the game. It, I'm sure y'all have already mentioned it, but it's absolutely beautiful. Uh, it's got a lot of memorable moments. One that comes to mind is the, um, when you get into Krizoa's spirits, one of the trials is just like this. You're trying to keep the meter at the top. It's like a sanity bar, and they're like, all these dinosaurs and things are trying to get Fox off his game, and you just got to keep him, keep him steady, keep him strong. Uh, it's it's super cool. Um, last thing I'd say is I think the series really needs to embrace the character of Crystal just because, uh, I mean, I think she's a great character, and I do like her, but, like, the series needs all the help it can get, and I don't think they was zero where seems like they're trying to ignore her. I think, considering how many people know of the character outside of who've probably never even played the games, uh, I think that'd be a wise decision. And I really hope we don't have to wait the same amount of time we did between Command and Zero to get a new game, but hopefully it'll come back. And yeah, and maybe take some inspiration from Adventures and Assault and all those amazing games. All right, y'all. Thanks. 
Thank you for the call, Rick. I think it's almost been about the same amount of time between Command and Zero as Zero and Now. <laughs> Zero. It's been, what, almost seven years since Star Fox Zero? Gosh, I have such a little little comprehension of the passage of time anymore. Uh, I mean, same. I think we're all in that uh, flying galleon. But yeah, um, you're you're absolutely right, Rick. They sh- they need to embrace Crystal. I I think it's kind of stupid and backwards thinking that Star Fox Zero just like not even talking about t- placement in the timeline or whether or not it was a reboot or reconceptualization of the first game and then star fox 64 but you're really gonna take the team backwards and have it be all dudes again like what like you're crystal worked on the team she brought something different and it didn't it wasn't like we lost out on peppy peppy was still there they found a new use for him but he was still ever present same amount of time i I think it's weird that we're just gonna like sideline crystal i i don't think I don't think there's a danger that we will ever lose her 100%. I think they understand that she is pretty much as iconic as the original team. She's kind of got that stain power um, for various reasons. But I I don't know if, you know, I, I have no idea. I mean, Cameron and I talked about it years ago. But I have no idea what another Star Fox game would look like at this point. Partly because Zero is so non-committal as to what it is exactly yeah um like it it like it walks like a reboot talks like a reboot and resets everything to the star fox 64 status quo like a reboot but like it doesn't really come out and say like yeah this is this is from square one like the like the thing that will define it as a reboot is making things set after it that contradict adventures and even Starlink doesn't do that it's just Starlink is it's a very fun um, play around in the Star Fox toy box but it is very clearly like I think Ubisoft treading carefully similar to how um, Team Dakota was with Conquer in, in Project Spark where like they're acknowledging like another Star Fox game could come after this and we don't want to rock the boat in case it does. Right. You, Because you, if you do, then your own project is going to be invalidated or erased and you want to, you want, you want to keep your, your own contribution as vital and evergreen as possible. Um, yeah, but I'm hopeful. I, I'm hopeful. Like I, I'm more hopeful now about the future of Star Fox in relation to, the three games we considered the Dinosaur Planet trilogy than I was back in 2015. I think a lot has changed. I think there's more nostalgia for this era now. And I think Star Fox Zero kind of shit the bed in some respects as far as, again, critical consensus. Not so, like, its own merits we, we could debate aside, but it wasn't universally embraced. And so the thing that everybody thought they wanted, which was just to go back to Star Fox 64, might not have been what everybody wanted. And I think having Crystal as an assist trophy in Ultimate and I mean, I mean, granted, there, there's some 
linkage there between Star Fox Assault and uh, the Smash team uh, after the fact. But even even Zero itself, like they did that animated short short where they name drop Saria, like it's still yeah. People are thinking about the legacy of adventures, whether or not we're seeing it. And I hope whatever direction they take the franchise in the future, like as much as I don't want a continuity reboot, the boon of doing a continuity reboot is you can take stuff you introduced very late and bring it in much earlier. So or stuff you cut out entirely. So like, yeah, bring if you do pull the ripcord on that, bring in crystal, bring in. Mew and Faye from Star Fox 2, um, bring in Panther from Assault, like, see, you can seed all that stuff early. Yeah, but like you always say, Cameron, I think the people who are afraid of Star Fox commands, multiple endings, are just cowards. I, I think you could just easily have a new Star Fox game, set it after everything, and just go from there. Just have everything at your disposal. You absolutely could, and not even in a way that rocks the boat too much. There no. are endings in that game that are very much, um, like, and the adventure continues style yeah. ways to continue. At the very least, one of them is. And yeah, I, I don't think it's the albatross around the series neck that people treat it as. It's, no. It- I've, seen, I've, seen, I've seen so many stories, like, pull out of more like tangled webs it's fine yeah it is and yeah before we take our last call i just want to say it's really cool to hear john and rick say like star fox is their biggest series like that they're they're bigger fans of star fox than anything else because so much here at dk vine and on the conversation we associate star fox adventures with rare fandom first and foremost oh you probably like this game if you're a hardcore fan of rare and it's cool that now these star fox fans embrace star fox adventures for what it was and that that's really good to hear it's what got me into it i wanted to follow the star fox 64 characters and what they got into next and i really liked the direction it took them i think there's more uh, of a shared bond between just out and out star fox fandom and rare fandom that was always there from the start it this this project makes complete sense that it happened and despite all of our gnashing of the teeth when it did when the when the transition took place i think it was for the best i honestly do all right let's let's take our last call hi love your show i um, um unfortunately missed out mostly on star fox adventures when it was on the gamecube I don't know, I played it for maybe five or ten minutes. And since I no longer have a GameCube or a Wii, I was kind of wondering, what do you think is the likelihood of the game ever getting a re-release? I'm guessing it's probably stuck in licensing hell at the moment because of the mix of Rare characters and Nintendo characters. But given that Rare was able to make Banjo-Kazooie, Get a, get a re-release on Switch, and we're even getting a GoldenEye re-release pretty soon. I was wondering what the like, what you think the likelihood is of Star Fox Adventures getting that same treatment, or do you think the work that a lot of fans are doing on the Dinosaur Planet ROM that leaked last year will possibly fit that film in its own weird way as the closest thing we'll ever get to a Star Fox Adventures re-release? Thank you very much, and uh, have a great rest, have a great day. Thank you for the call. I believe first time caller. Um, 
Well, uh, to, to answer your questions to the best of my ability, because I'm not a lawyer when it comes to Nintendo Rare Law, but uh, I, I do know that Nintendo does own all the characters in Star Fox Adventures. It was how the buyout shook out, infamously, is... It was a lot more complicated once upon a time, but when it became Star Fox Adventures, Rare was making the game to be published by Nintendo, and everything was a Nintendo trademark, and when they had to basically settle everything in the divorce, it was decided that Nintendo would get everything created for Donkey Kong and Star Fox, and so... At, at least on an IP level, N- Nintendo has everything. Um, and any other arrangements that have to be worked out with Rare haven't worked out in the past as far as other games go. Genuinely, I think the answer is that a re-release of Star Fox Adventures is exactly as likely as the possibility of Nintendo making their GameCube library in general available in any form again. Yeah. That, I think, is the the big sticking point, really. At, at this point, I don't think there's any hindrance as far as Rare being owned by Microsoft. I think they're very clearly, both parties are shown to want to work together very eagerly. And the fact that we're seeing that so much since 2019 like explicitly but just just out in the open now especially with banjo kazooie and now goldeneye coming to the switch i think that the second we'll we would see the gamecube library being opened up star fox adventures would absolutely be on the table maybe even one of the first games yeah like in the in the grand scheme of like ip rights breakouts Star Fox Adventures is way closer to a Donkey Kong Country 1 than it is to a Banjo-Kazooie. It's a very oh, clean-cut yeah. case. I think the honestly the biggest hiccup is just that it has the rare it has the rare wear logo in it. Right. And that's really it. But, you know, and, and anything besides that, yeah, it's it's not a problem. Like you said, it's very clean-cut. It's not Diddy Kong Racing, which most people still don't understand to this day. It's not even Donkey Kong Country 2 with all its Killer Instinct references. There's right. nothing like that in Adventures, which honestly, like, both because of the tone of the game, but also, like, might be by design because the writing was on the wall that they were going to lose all this well into development. Yeah, they, they lost Tricky and they were like, no more. Like, don't don't get any ideas about putting in any beloved characters in this game because we'll lose them and we'll never be able to use them on Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say really the ball's in Nintendo's court. That's it. It just when is when are we gonna get GameCube games available in any real way? Like, yeah, the second they if they in the event they ever do like a Nintendo Switch Online GameCube collection, like I have no doubt adventures would be part of it. It's just a a matter of if such a thing will even ever be done. I don't want to be too optimistic, but if that ever came to pass, I would say within the first year. That's how that's how good I feel. Because also, it's the only rare game in the library, so it's not like this awful feeling with the N64 library where it's like, okay, well, we got the second one announced and it's Goldeneye, but when are the others coming? Will we get others? And it's a Star Fox game, like, controversial or not, like, if you're a Nintendo IP and there's, like, no legal thing 
uh, hold or like hardware implementation thing holding it up like you're on the service like yeah no nobody's hemming and hawing like over like Kirby's dream course ending right. up on on the Super Nintendo online just because it's not like Superstar I think once we do see that when when it happens because Star Fox Adventures it hasn't been in quite the same sense of legal limbo as Diddy Kong Racing has been but you know, outside of its release for the GameCube and its re-release um, as, as a player's choice game on the GameCube, it, it hasn't really been commercially available since the GameCube breathed its last breath. Um, and I think because of that, it only really has that initial ugly reception uh, and the backlash. It really only has that to inform subsequent generations of it i i mentioned hive mind a hive mind and it's amusing because ultimately a hive mind was the nemesis of star fox assault and i like to think that oh, there's some commentary there and it wasn't but i like to think there was some commentary there about how adventures was treated uh you know i i don't want to say that the internet just decided to hate on star fox adventures and then you know had that ill-informed opinion become their reality. But as we went over on part one, and as you alluded to earlier in this episode, there were so many factors working against this game and the way people perceived it and received it. The fact, like, it wasn't Star Fox 64 2, the fact that the buyout was happening, the fact that, you know, Nintendo purists could also compare it to Zelda. It just, it just had so much working against it. And... Look, the truth is it doesn't hold up to Ocarina of Time or Majora's Mask. I love Star Fox Adventures, and I will admit that much. But, and just like, we were just talking with uh, our friend Mitchell Wolf the other day about how games are, I guess, reviewed. And when you put games on a best of list, how many people will put Tetris as the best game? of all time on the list. But when you're ranking people's personal favorites, who's going to put Tetris as their favorite game? And I, I think that's very applicable to this discussion about Star Fox Adventures because like mechanically, would I put Star Fox Adventures as the most in the league of the most brilliant games of all time? No, I wouldn't. If I'm being intellectually cool about it, I wouldn't. But emotionally, it's in my top ten favorite games of all time, Cameron. Yeah, like would I would I seriously would I seriously like argue with anybody that it's better than any given Zelda game? Probably not. Does it mean a hell of a lot more to me than any given Zelda game? Yes, as a person, it does. If you'll indulge me, Cameron, I just want to read my top ten list as it currently stands because when I just say it's my top ten list, it doesn't really mean much without seeing what other games. I rank it next to, and of course, I am the uh, the host of the conversation. I'm the co-founder of DK Vine, so you can kind of guess where my list is going. Uh, number one is Donkey Kong Country Two, obviously. Uh, number two is Sea of Thieves. Number three is Banjo Kazooie. Number four is Grab by the Ghoulies. Fuck all of you. Number five is Diddy Kong Racing. Number six is a tie. Uh, a tie between Tropical Freeze and Ukulele in the Impossible Air. I can't decide. I like them both pretty equally at this point. Number eight is Donkey Kong Country 3. Again, fuck everyone. Number nine is Super Smash Brothers Ultimate. See, I am not biased 
towards Rare. I like games that aren't made by Rare, especially games that bring back King K. Rule and also work with Rare to uh, incorporate Banjo-Kazooie. I, I'm sorry, what were what were three through nine, Hayo? I was still writing my angry comment about you putting Sea of Thieves at number two. <laughs> and number ten is Star Fox Adventures. And I don't know if it will ever leave that list for me. I Because I was like, what, what would knock off Star Fox Adventures from my top ten list? And I don't know, because emotionally, it means so much more to me than something like Tetris. I, I, it, it's the first major Donkey Kong Universe game that I played when I was legally a full adult. Except, you know, the part about buying alcohol and renting a car. Do not do those in that order, by the way. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should, we should really swap those, you would think. Anyway, uh, so Star Fox Adventures for me represents a weird, warm bit of nostalgia in my own life. For a time, I'm not even particularly nostalgic for where I was a new adult and I had all of the freedoms that came with adulthood. Like, Oh, I can just cut class. Oh, I, I can just go here and it's fine. I can buy pornography, but why would I? It's free on the internet. I was a savvy 18 year old. No, and it's a bold new world on the internet. Thanks to this star Fox game that just came out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what am I going to do on the internet? See people complain about Star Fox? No, I'm going to look at porn. No, but the melancholy uh, that came with that very uh, notable turning point in my life married with the rare buyout. It really was the passing of my childhood. I know John was talking about it, but John was also like eight years old, he said. Uh, th- this really was like the death of my childhood years. But I still think of Star Fox Adventures not as really uh, a, a sad experience i i celebrate it for what it was it, it's it's interesting to me i think this is the first time i really became okay with change star fox adventures helped me make this transition no i mean i i think it is again like the the buyout like cast such a weird um mood over this entire game that's kind of like inseparable from it but i I feel like it's it's got the feeling of like like you have a friend that's moving out of the country. You don't know when you're ever going to see them again. Like you're going to lose touch, but you're just going to have like one last like big party over the weekend with them. <laughs> right. To send them off on their way with a good, with the good vibes and like good memories and that I think is kind of like the place in my mind, that, like, Star Fox Adventures cemented itself. Yeah, you'll, you'll worry about the feelings of sadness on Monday, but you're gonna have a good time while you can with it. And, you know, the rare fandom of that era has, I, I think, s- sort of asserted itself now more as we've come of age, and I think our opinions now are held as equally true and valid along the alongside the angst that gener ration x threw at us at the turn of the millennium and you know you still run into a lot of people who parrot the anti-star fox adventures talking points and i get that the game's never going to be for everyone nor should it be but i think i think like we just said a large part of that too is the people who parrot those opinions are people who probably haven't played it they they haven't had a chance to play it we talk about diddy kong racing being this lost game but 
at least it had Diddy Kong Racing DS in in the the middle of the break there. Uh, Star Fox Adventures really hasn't had any legal means to play it. I think more people have probably played the Dinosaur Planet ROM in recent years than they played Star Fox Adventures. And that's a shame. It needs to be accessible and people need to form new opinions of it unmarred by the political maneuverings of 2002 yeah i think uh once the wii u shop goes down like the entire like quote-unquote dinosaur planet trilogy that um dk vines latched onto isn't going to be playable on any modern hardware it's it's like the tagline we have uh when the, the rotating tagline we have when you visit our site one of them uh, is where the Star Fox franchise is three games called the Dinosaur Planet Trilogy, which I want it to be more than a trilogy. I I want to continue this legacy, but it, that's just a funny little, like, yeah, that sums up how weird we are. Um, but yeah, I, I think all the melancholy around this game, the buyout, really, really I can't separate it with just... The fact that Rare's legacy was under attack at, during the same time, and I, I was like looking at my own adulthood and the passing of my childhood and thinking, wow, everything I loved in my childhood, especially the, the thing I loved the most, Rare's games, the DKU, uh, it's all under attack now. It's all being thrown into question. What is life going to be like now? And ultimately, this matters very little. This is pop culture arguments you know this doesn't really matter as far as the world goes there are far bigger problems now and even back in 2002 than worrying about how people perceive rare and star fox adventures but i don't know like i i think also there's that sadness too of seeing how beautiful star fox adventures was how much it resonated with me when i could get past popular opinions about Star Fox Adventures being unpopular, and I could really just vibe with it, and it, it resonated with me, and I was thinking, I would love to see a sequel to this by Rare, and I'm never going to get that chance. And, you know, I loved stacking up Rare's last major release for a Nintendo console against the first major release of any studio on that console. So for example, taking Donkey Kong Country 3 and comparing it to Super Mario World. And that's not me saying that Donkey Kong Country 3 is necessarily better than Super Mario World because I love Super Mario World. I respect the hell out of it. So much of Super Mario World's DNA is in Donkey Kong Country and Ukulele and Impossible Lair. But it's just it's just fun comparing the two of them visually at the very least because you're like you would never think they would be on the same console. If, if you were to take Donkey Kong Country 3, take it back in time to the launch and say, oh, yeah, this is also a Super Nintendo game, people would not believe it. And taking, for example, Super Mario 64 and comparing it to Conqueror's Bad Fur Day, it's sort of unbelievable that they share the same hardware. And, yeah, I wanted to do that with Star Fox Adventures. like, Or, or I wanted to do that, I guess I should say, with another Rare game, like around 2005, and compare that to, I don't know, Luigi's Mansion or something. Uh, we didn't get that chance, but Star Fox Adventure has held its own up through the end of the GameCube, and I would say well into the Wii and Wii U. It's still one of the most gorgeous games on a Nintendo platform, I would say up through the Switch, up to the Switch. It really held its own and punched above its weight for years to come. For sure, like, just on GameCube alone, it's... 
I mean, I think it's my favorite looking game, GameCube game, except for maybe like Paper Mario and the Thousand Year Door, but that's going for a completely different art direction. Yeah, I, I, I think just like a, as a game that looks pretty and it's supposed to invoke quasi-realism, like not even getting into artistic des- design, stylistic touches. Which again, like quickest visual design to age and age poorly um, is going for any sort of realism. But Star Fox Adventures works because it just blends in enough cartoony surrealness with that realism. Same same reason Donkey Kong games can hold up. Same reason, honestly, Sea of Thieves is going to persevere visually. It's like a Jurassic Park 1 dinosaur. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> and I don't know. I, I guess, you know, we, we've talked about this game for multiple hours. We talked about Dinosaur Planet last season for even longer. I think... Ultimately, after really gelling with Star Fox 64 to the extent I did, at the time I did when I was already fully meshed with Rare, um, I think Star Fox Adventures just really made me adore Star Fox. And it brought it up almost to the same tier as Donkey Kong, Banjo-Kazooie, and Conker for me. And uh, so for that, at the end of the day, I'm thankful that it exists. I'm... I'm honestly happy Dinosaur Planet did become Star Fox Adventures. Gun to my head, I, th- I think I am. Because, uh, excuse me, staff to the head. You can't bring blasters here. Because, yeah, it, it brought Star Fox into the DKU. However, for however limited of an engagement it turned out to be, it took something I loved, made it into something I adore. So all in all, a happy ending. This has been a File 2 production. Terrico.